<laughs> hey, what the fuck? What's going on, everybody? This episode of the Joe Rogan Experience is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible.com, who has been one of the longest-running podcast sponsors, is uh, the best resource for audio entertainment online. It's a fantastic website, and they have over 100,000 different titles. And it's audiobooks, it's podcasts, it's, they have comedy, it's just hundreds of thousands of different titles. And it's all just entertainment that you can listen to while you're in traffic, while you're on the subway, while you're on a plane. All the times that would generally just be a big, fat, stupid waste of time. You can actually enjoy the shit out of them with Audible.com. And if you go to audible.com forward slash Joe... You can get one free audiobook and 30 free days of Audible service. As you can see, there are pals, Opie and Anthony. They have their episodes available on audible.com. They've got old lectures. They've got like really interesting, cool shit, comedy specials. You know, uh, Audible also has that Whisper Sync application that I've talked about before. But quite honestly, I've never used it. I just heard it's awesome. <laughs> I, I have a regular one. I can't have. I'm too fucking ADD. When I put my shit on an audio, like if uh, if I uh, if I'm actually reading, I have to have it on something that I can only read a book on. And those Kindle Fire uh, HDs, those are pretty dope. They do a lot of different shit. They, they you can watch movies on them. You can get online with them. It's like an iPad essentially. And I can't be having one of those. I'm just, I just fucking, I'll, just, I'll screw off. So I've never tried it. But if you are a person who has more control than I do, the Kindle Fire uh, HD has a thing called WhisperSync. And what it is is you read the book at night or whenever you want to. And then when you get in your car, it will literally pick up the audio book right where you left off the book. It's incredible. Like, it, it knows where your reading ends. And that's where the actor will pick up in reading the book. It's really fucking cool. Audible.com forward slash Joe. And get yourself a free audio book. We're also brought to you by onit.com. That's O-N-N-I-T. If you have never heard of Onit, Onit is essentially what I would call a human optimization website. We sell you cool shit that's good for you. Cool shit like kettlebells and battle ropes and, and even ones that are artistic. We have kettlebells like the primal bells that are designed in the form of different apes. And the new zombie bells that's all self-explanatory they're all zombies uh the idea being that we are all children and uh we have never grown up and it's not happening now bitches too late miss the boat miss the boat on growing up i like zombies i don't give a fuck if i'm almost 50 <laughs> i care not i like what i like enlarged handles for grip strength in these kettlebells they're also balanced 3d balance we had we made sure that they were functional not just cool looking but they are definitely that. We sell basically functional strength equipment and a lot of really cool supplements. The supplements, all um, they're all the very best as far as ingredients, as far as the dosages, as far as the purity, the best stuff that we can find. And we try to sell it to you as uh, ethically as possible. In fact, when you buy supplements from Onnit, like Alpha Brain or Shroom Tech, there is a 30-pill, 90-day money-back guarantee. You don't even have to return the product. Just say, just say this stuff sucks. You get your money back. We are banking on the fact that, A, it's the best stuff that does work, and there's science behind it, and all of it's explained at onit.com. If you go 
peering around, but that we, we want you to give you stuff that you're actually going to enjoy. So you're going to want to buy it again. Uh, no one wants bad relationships with people that feel like they got ripped off. So we're, try- we're trying to eradicate that as much as possible by just selling you the best shit we can find. And if we don't think it's good, we don't sell it. If we, and if we try it and like, you know what, this isn't working for me or is this, this isn't uh, getting good feedback from people, we would get rid of it. We would never put anything up there that we haven't already been using ourselves. That's uh, the whole idea short. behind it. Shroom Tech Sport, Sport has changed my life in the gym. It's fantastic stuff. Tremendous. And I was scared. At first, I was like, am I getting a fucking heart attack? And then I found out it just pumps blood, red blood cells into you. It just it helps blood them. optimization. It's fucking great. The, the cardio is, and I'm 300 fucking pounds. Yeah. And I bounce and I go to kickboxing, so it works. Well, it gives you a little extra pump is what it does. A little extra pick-me-up. It's uh, It's got cordyceps mushroom and vitamin B12 in it. And uh, cordyceps mushroom is a mushroom that the Chinese Olympic team first started using to uh, kick people's asses. They found the supplement that a mushroom that gives you more endurance. Uh, and it's noticeable. It's a real feeling. And I, I also think it's very legal. There's vitamin B12 in it as well. Um, you can see there the ingredients if you're watching this episode, which most people don't. But there's a lot of antioxidants as well and two different types of cordyceps mushrooms. And that is the uh, the magic mushroom that is uh, very bioavailable. We find the, the 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 best form of it. We actually get it from caterpillars. They they grow it on caterpillars somehow or another. I don't understand wow, it. It's beyond my stupid brain, but it's good for you. Onnit.com, O-N-N-I-T. Use the code name Rogan. Save 10% off any and all supplements. Jihad, my friends. Joey Diaz is here. Praise Odin. Joe Rogan Podcast. Check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train my day. Joe Rogan Podcast by night. All day. Good googly moogly, Joey Diaz. What's up, beautiful? Good googly moogly. Good googly moogly. <laughs> we uh, we did find the origin of great googly moogly. What, what was it? It was like from nineteen. It was the great. It was great googly moogly. Was the first one, and it was from like the nineteen seventies. Do you remember where you heard it? I heard it uh, from a kid from uh, North Carolina. Where's all the Marine Station in North Carolina? Um, Whatever base that was, that's where he was from. He grew up there. Like he was. Uh, and he used to always, whenever I'd bring him a big rock of coke, he'd go, good googly moogly. <laughs> he was with a, with a North Carolina from, accent. So. Frank Zappa, isn't it? Yes, it's and from Frank Zappa. It it's great googly moogly. It's from the Frank Zappa song, Nanook Rubs It. <laughs> 1974? Yeah, 74, huh? <clears throat> Have you ever put Frank Zappa on with that fucking band, like uh, Frank's Garage? And they all were that really shit? good, man. They it were was weird. fucking crazy. Like, after a while, you're like, ah. I can't do this no more. But one of the best drummers that we have today originated from that band. He created Missing Persons, him and his wife. Really? Dale and Terry Bazio, who was in Playboy. Wow. Who gives a fuck? I found out about Frank Zappa from my friend Tom. I was probably like 10 or 11 years old. And uh, I had this one friend. He's a weird kid. And his dad was weird as fuck. His dad was a super hippie, man. He drove a Saab. I'll never forget that. His dad had this like really weird car where the fucking key was on the floor. You ever see a Saab? They have, get they have police co- cars in Aspen, Colorado. Are they really? That's what they drive in Aspen. Sucks. Well, it makes sense. I, I bet. I bet those things drive really fucking good in the snow. They're they're made by an aviation company. Like Saab was initially an aviation. Are they company. still out there? I think Saab's yes, yes, are yes, still yes, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Saab's think they're still around because I see they have a weird body style. They're very weird. And but you know by the uh, insignia, Saab well, has a very. Can you put it up, Brian? There's very someone different. who's trying not to look flashy on purpose. <clears throat> 
It's like a car that you can get where you know it's a really well-engineered car, but it's but that's a non-flashy car. Like a Saab is like an under-the-radar sort of like really nice high-end car, but Saab. it's Saab's actually closed down. They were one of the dealers. They're that, done. Yeah. Oh no, they went under when. Uh, Nobody was buying them. They're tough sell. Well, it's because they have that reputation sell. of being ugly. <laughs> They're fucking ugly. They're these ugly, understated, you know really well-engineered cars. You know buy a You, you wanted that. to, like recently? In the worst way. <laughs> Why didn't In you buy it? In the worst way. When you're Cuban, that's success. Why don't you buy it? Because when I mentioned it on the podcast, fucking service writers that worked at Cadillac places were secretly emailing me going, don't. Oh no! Do it. The paint is bad. No, there's a problem with this. I mean, so many. Wait, how long ago was this? How long ago was this? Three really months recently? ago. Yeah. The CTSV I, just won uh, car of the year. I don't know, but the Cadillac people hit me up, going, "Dog, just move on," well, because I maybe know. I live in service. Maybe you know the, the Now that's the heavy duty one, which I didn't care because I would lease them. Mm-hmm. See, I like leasing cars because yeah. you get my, more of a car for your money. If you don't have money, that's what you do. You lease a fucking car. Well, especially the reality is, cars are good for. A Few years, two and years, shit starts two going years, wrong. This starts going wrong. You get rid of them before anything goes wrong. I was gonna, so I was leaning towards the Cadillac. I drove it. I fucking loved it. Just getting in it. You know, just getting <laughs> in it. You want to cry? Like you think of Scarface and shit. Remember, <laughs> remember when they showed up with the Cadillac? What did he say to her? It's a Cadillac. Yeah. The Cuban, the real Cuban. Men, when I saw that, I go. They had a really good consultant. Listen, you need a Cadillac in your life. You, fuck, you understand? Fuck the paint. You understand? Just me. telling me this makes me think you need to get oh, a Cadillac. Oh, I was so sad when the service riders talked me out of it. I want to buy American. Listen, fuck those guys. I want to do all this shit. And then I went on the Subaru thing. I've had three Subarus. I go. It's time to get something else. But Subaru sold me with the fucking free service. <laughs> they got you a free service. That's customer satisfaction. Uh, That's customer <laughs> I always say in the next couple of years, everybody's going to have a good product. It's going to be so competitive. So how are people going to beat you out is by customer service. You know, you go to a, a, a Four Seasons hotel in Denver and the one in Chicago is two big differences. Then you go to that Harley Davidson hotel that you took me to in Milwaukee. That's one of the best hotels around. You can't stay still in that hotel without somebody coming up to you going, can I get your water? Can I get your menu? Do you need a ride? And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's all cost. So when I found out that about Subaru, that's what made me go back to the Subaru. I see. Because it's free free service now. I think I still got to pay for brakes and tires, but all I got to do is bring it in for the 1500, bring it in for 3500. Right. I see what you're saying. So, uh, man, I don't know, Joey. I still really get rid of the fucking Subaru. I want to get a white one. No. You haven't gotten it yet? No, I got the Subaru, the new Subaru last week. I you went, did, so I you're went, done. Yeah, I went and done it. Oh, uh, okay. So we, we, there's no sense in talking about this. Good luck with the Subaru. <laughs> oh, I love it. You know me, dog. I'm an old when that cu- lease is up, dude, get yeah, a fucking yeah, Cadillac. Get a t- or if you decide to go second car Super Bowler, if you do that one day, which I can see in the Joey Diaz future for sure, second car Super Bowl, you're getting a goddamn Cadillac, okay? You got it. Get it. It's just passion. Oh, if you enjoy it. Look, I had a Mustang GT500, and it was a piece of shit. I'm going to be honest with you. It's like... A new one? Yeah. This, this, here's really? the problem. Yeah, it's it's got. I had a 2010, and um, there was a lot of issues with the car. Like as far as like the way it would drive, it's because of the rear axle. They've got a, what's called a live rear axle. It's like a big fat log on the end that connects to two tires. It's just not the the, the optimum setup. And like when you drive it around, and there's a lot of body flex because it was a convertible, better than the previous years, but still you could. It felt like uneasy when you're driving it. That said. 
I had more fun in that car than I think any car I've had, like I've ever owned ever because it was so stupid because it was so loud and it was so fun. And I was like, holy shit, I'm driving around a fucking Mustang. You know, it, it, it was fun. It was like, there's something to that. Like maybe the build quality is not as nice, but what's the philosophy behind the car? Well, the, the Shelby the philosophy was let's take something that doesn't make any fucking sense. Let's take way more power than anybody needs. Slap it into this fucking car. Put a crazy exhaust on it. Make it so just, it burns rubber in every gear anytime you want. It's a retarded car. And when you have something like that, it's, you know it's all for fun. When you're driving a, if you're driving a fucking Cadillac CTSV, these goddamn things beat Ferraris in drag races. What's the horsepower? Ridiculous. What it's is in it? the 500s. Oh. It's ridiculous. Oh. I'll, tell, I'll tell you exactly. It's, it's a ridiculously fast car. They're, they're one of the most powerful uh, sedans that you can buy today. Dude, they go zero to sixty in four and I seconds. Drove, and I drove the one under that. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't drive the CVXD with all of them. Jesus Christ, less than four seconds. They go zero to sixty in three point nine seconds. Five hundred and fifty six horsepower. Whoa. This Brian, is that's insane. How bad is life in the service department mm-hmm. when you only have one car? Seriously, how bad is it? How bad is it when they can't fix your fucking car and you only have one car? And- Oh, it's all, it I know you were just saying. going through it. I'm looking. I'm talking yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah. The good thing is, is that that some dealers, depending on how old or new your car is, they'll just give you a rental car. Like they gave me this loaner car, which is fine at Volkswagen. So Listen, son, when you're driving a fucking fat silver CTSV and you're just enjoying the shit out of it, so it breaks every now and again. You bring it in, they fix it up. When you're driving it, you're gonna enjoy it. There's gonna be a feeling that you don't get when you're in that fucking Subaru. The Subaru is reliable. It'll get you. Where where you want to go, but it bores the piss out of you. It's a different no, experience. this is a nice one. This is a nice one. <laughs> it's Listen, nice, man, but it's not like you know, this crazy uh, thing. I, I grew up in Jersey, and I grew up in the metropolitan area, and as you know, you just grew up around people. And I went to Boulder. I went to Colorado, and mm. I really went to Boulder. When I, when I lived in Boulder, I enjoyed living there because I always felt stupid. I felt insecurely. because They got a big a lot university. Of smart people there. A lot of smart people there. And I'll tell you, all those smart people, I couldn't argue them out of a Subaru. They would come and I go, yeah. if I gave you this car, I'd invoice. You know, and I'd say, what about a Toyota? And they would say, look, a guy. Mm-hmm. In Boulder, there's Subaru people and there's Toyota people. There's Toyota people that have, what are those Jeeps that they don't even make no more? Yeah, those you Land Rover things. What are they, what are they and called? And they pay top dollar. Like people, if you sell one with 300,000 miles, some genius white dude will come to your house in the snow, get under the car, look at it and make you a cash offer, pay you a thousand over book, and then you're like, what plan do you have with this? And he's like, me, I'm going to rip this engine out. And you're like, what do you do for a living? I'm an electronical engineer. Yeah. I run the electronic, uh, whatever. Forerunners, that's what they are, Forerunners. Right? No, yeah. no, the other one. The one before They the don't even make them no more. They're those little ones. Yeah. Land anyway, Cruisers. The old no, body Land Cruiser. But it's not a Land Cruiser because a Land Cruiser is a, a the, the, Land the, Rover. Right, Range Rover and Land Rover. It is a Land Cruiser. It right? is a Land Cruiser. So Land Cruiser and then there's Land Rover. Right, right, but the Land Rover is Land Rover. Right. Land Cruiser belongs to Toyota. And in Boulder, you can't buy a new Land Cruiser. People won't buy the new ones because the power going up Lee Hill. So people oh. are going for the old ones. And then like putting super engines in them and but shit. They fucking took them to... You know, they have a specialty. Like Even Boulder had... Burt Subaru is the biggest dealer in the world. Then number like eight is Subaru. 
but they had so many Subarus in Boulder that you couldn't take it to the service department at Burt <laughs> or at Denver. So what happened was this guy left the Subaru organization and opened up by Lee Hill, Super Repair. Uh-huh. That was the name of it. All they did was Subarus. And I used to talk to that guy, and he would talk my ear off. But that dude knew about cars. And he sold me like he's like, look, if I had a million dollars, I'd still have a Subaru in my parking lot. Wow. Because I know I could depend. He would t- talk to me about it. Like, he had been at Subaru since 1968. There's a lot of people that are really dedicated to those old Toyotas, in too, Col- right? Oh, in Colorado. They, yeah. Because they know what it is. You know what it was when you went down that hill that night with your wife? You know what it's like, bro. Well, those, those Subarus have, like, the most sophisticated four-wheel drive system for those kind of cars. Like, when you look at, like, the top ten cars that drive in the snow, at least two out of ten were Subarus. When they had this uh, most recent top ten list, they have good ground clearance. You know, they <clears> just <throat> they just figured out how to make a car that. I mean, the, the the success is so undeniable in Colorado. You look around, you see Subarus everywhere. Under, under, Colorado is number one. And I think Montana, Wyoming. They just people learn. That's it. They make a living yeah. just on those three states. <laughs> Subaru uh, makes a fortune just on three real American states. Then people who move to New Mexico have them. New mm-hmm. Mexico is very sophisticated by where they ski, right. not uh, not where they shot the longest yard or Albuquerque. No. Up more, it's fucking gorgeous. Like, like Santa Fe, is that what I'm Santa thinking? Fe is gorgeous, but up more. There's one more know. town, Las Cruces. Las oh, Cruces, God. Yeah, I you don't know, know that in, town very well. You're in the mountains. You're in the mountains. It's no big. Uh, it's really beautiful. It's a green chili on everything. We should do a gig in New Mexico. I've never done anything in New no, Mexico. No, it's just so tough. They they closed the comedy club down. I spoke to Clay Guida. Clay has a friend that has a rock club in New Mexico. We contacted him yeah. two or three times. The guy's like not sold on it. He doesn't know comedy. Well, let's do a you and me show there. We'll let's do it, go. We'll do it all of my, us. Let's do it. We'll whole... get the agents to do it. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. So uh, we're going to have to search Albuquerque? around. They'll find a place. Yeah, whatever's the best spot. Santa Albuquerque. Fe or Albuquerque. 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 Albuquerque has more people. Yeah, yeah. Albuquerque. And we go Brian's right. expert. He's like, trust me. No, no, no. I, I've done research on New Mexico. It's Tate's from there. And so then right, right, right. you don't really want to go outside of Albuquerque, I heard. <laughs> really? No, no. Santa Fe <laughs> is. Santa Fe's supposed Santa to be Santa nice. Fe is cream of the crop. Albuquerque is bad boys, bad boys. Um, the first eight seasons of bad boys. Albuquerque is the real fucking deal, though. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Diego Sanchez ain't fucking around he's down there running shit they, they <laughs> fucking throw down down there they really do they really throw down down there so but uh it'd be interesting just to go down there and do a fucking nice yeah we do i've never been i, I need to go there's a lot of this parts of this country that i've never been like you ever been to the dakotas north or south yes did you go and see the mount rushmore yes really i did comedy in uh north snake river Wow. So it's either south or they used to have a weekend gig there, and I was jonesing for blow, and I couldn't find any. And I looked in the kitchen, and there was one Mexican in the fucking kitchen. And he popped out, and that was the end of that fucking tune. <sighs> wow, that is so crazy. Tribble used to have rooms. Uh, him and his partner had rooms when I first started in North and South Dakota. And South Dakota was a little dirtier. I could be dirty. It was a Friday, Saturday. So I would drive from Colorado to Snake River or Green River, something wow. river. Wow. You know, and I did all through Idaho. I, I did the one in Idaho where Evil Knievel jumped. That S- river. Snake River, Snake right? River. You do Twin <laughs> Falls, Snake River, Boise, American, American, uh, whatever, with an a- Air Force bases. You yeah. do all that shit on those. They call it Potato Run 1 and Potato Run 2. Wow. And you do everything. American. What the fuck is the Air Force base in Idaho? American home. American something. 
Fucking, you do everything up there. Twin Falls, I fingered a fucking Indian chick. <laughs> I told you the other day, yogurt came out of a fucking monkey <laughs> at Twin Falls. <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> and she was a real Indian, not like a, you know, like the... With the not pa- from not, India. No, not Isn't the, that hilarious? You're saying <laughs> a real Indian, you mean Native American, right, not right. like a person from India, no, which like is a, actually an Indian. <laughs> She's a real Indian. <laughs> you gotta confuse me for it. It's Monday. I'm confused too, man. We're both confused. Yeah, this, this is a bunch of spots that I've never been to, man. Uh, I don't think I've ever been in Wyoming. Great place. Yeah, it looks cool. Very, very frigid. It looks very cowboy, oh, too. Very cowboy. Well, dudes, but you like, have, stay cowboy. They, they keep rocking it. You have Cheyenne. I'm going to tell you something, and you're not going to believe this. Okay. And you know me. Cheyenne, Wyoming had some of the best Chinese food I ever ate in my fucking life in the, in the States. Well, I believe you, man. I used to drive from Boulder on Fridays to Cheyenne, Wyoming. It was a 45-minute drive, and i get shrimp and lobster sauce. Mm-hmm. And i get there, and I'd see 20 other New Yorkers standing out there. I don't know what this guy did, but every <laughs> New Yorker in Wyoming would drive to this place on Fridays. A guy would cook shrimp and lobster sauce. Uh, pork fried rice and an egg roll, and it was delicious. Did you ever see that episode of Anthony Bourdain's show, uh, No Reservations, when he went to Wyoming? Oh, no, it wasn't Wyoming. I'm confusing it with Montana. Montana's great, too, one. dog, but that's fucking weather. Yeah, oh, dude, I That's know, yeah. weather. I camped there in October, in late October. And how was it? It was terrible. It was freezing. It's freezing. It was fun, though. It was fun because it was something new and something different, you know. It's relatively safe as far as, like, mountain lions go. There's no bears. You don't have to worry about that. So it was cold as fuck, but relatively safe. So Mo- Montana is, like, it's still cowboy <coughs> country. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. Is the speed limit still crazy up there? Well, they n- didn't have any speed limit for the longest time, but the federal government was like, listen, fuckos. <laughs> If you want any money at all from us, you, you got to put up a fucking speed limit. I remember there was no speed. We used to do like 90, nothing. Yeah, nothing. I had a buddy, uh, Steve Graham, Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve lived in Montana. So now it's 75 again? 70. Fucking pedal it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to fucking pedal it up there. Just, Craziness. Just fucking crank it to the... It's basically the Autobahn. Billings, Montana used to have, like, I think, a Holiday Inn or something. Once, once you pulled off, it was right in the middle of town, the circle. Uh-huh. They still do comedy there. Wow. You know, it seats 200. It's a bar downstairs right. in the hotel. But I did that for triple thousands of times. Oh, I, the, Billings has a good vibe. Callan and I landed in Billings, and we had dinner in Billings there the final night. And it seems like real nice people. No, no, nice people. Real really? nice people. No, 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 no it's real nice. That's a place where you go, where you just you go, yeah. you know what? I'm moving to Montana. I'm going to raise my kids. Well, I'm you know fine, what, man? You know? There's, a, there's a something about the people that live that close to nature. I felt the same way about Anchorage. You been to Alaska? Yes. God damn, Anchorage is one of the coolest Anchorage places in the nice. world. There's something about being that close to nature. It's like the people are more, I want to say humble. I want to say they're more grounded. They're more grounded by weather. They're more grounded by just the intense connection they oh. have to nature. I mean, fucking eagles are everywhere up there. I mean, they, they see eagles all the time. I saw like three or four eagles while I was there. Like, you, you know what it's like to go 45 years of your life, never seen a fucking eagle, and then all of a sudden you see a gang of them. You're like, there's an eagle. That's another eagle. One would fly overhead. You're like, holy shit, look at the size of that fucking thing. You see moose up there. We saw five moose in two days, Ari Shafir and I did. Five moose. We caught these giant salmon that had come out of the ocean. And, it, you know, they're, they're, they're f- fucking swimming upriver to hatch and shit. We caught, it was like we were just in a real piece of wilderness. We had to look out for bears. You have to keep an eye out for fucking bears, Joey Diaz. 
It's the weirdest place ever. But Are you the people, uh, we were not. No, we didn't have anything. Now the fish you caught, did you cook it right up? We did one. Um, How good was it? Oh, delicious, man! Delicious. We most of what we uh, we caught, we had to release that day because of uh, the numbers of the salmon weir. It all depending on how many how many fish come through. Like if they only have like twenty fish come through in a day, they shut down um, the ability to catch the fish and uh, keep them. You have to catch and release. But we caught one that was a uh, rainbow trout, and the rainbow trout was oh my god, delicious. it was delicious. It was so because it's so fresh. I mean, you're getting it like right from this river. Oh, just the just the majesty of that place, man. It's incredible. It's it's so it's so weird. It's so weird being up there because you realize that this is how these people live and it's so far removed from anything you would experience in LA. Except I got to tell you some shit that went down last night, man. Listen to this. You know I have chickens, right? So I go outside to shut the light out in the chicken coop. The chickens uh we keep the light on during the winter months inside for a couple extra hours so they lay more eggs they lay less eggs when it starts getting darker and we're like fuck you bitch go back to work make some (laughs) eggs so anyway i go out to shut the light off and i hear fucking running like a big heavy animal running and it's i don't know what it is but i know it's big and i hear running through the grass and then i hear another one chasing it and it's dark out but I'm near the hill, and on the, the I can see the silhouettes on the top of the hill. So as these things are running by, I'm seeing them running by, and I don't know what the fuck it was. I'm assuming that it was a deer that's being chased by either a coyote or a mountain lion. If I was going to be on the fantastic side, I'd lean towards a mountain lion, because I heard more than one heavy animal. And it could be that there was just two deer that were running away from some, some coyotes. What are you showing us here? Uh, this is foxes in the chicken coop at night. Uh, well, they weren't trying to get in the chicken coop. That's not what I'm saying. They were, there, something was chasing after this deer. It was these deer were running, man. They were running uphill, full clip. And you could hear the, the trampling on the ground and fucking leaves were kicking up. And it was no more than 100 feet from me. So it was like some real live National Geographic shit. Because whatever the fuck that animal was, was that was running, that's at least a 70, 80 pound animal. It was a big deer. It was a regular sized deer. It wasn't like a baby. Whatever it is, it was run- I mean, I'm, sorry, I'm being real conservative by saying 70. It's probably a 100 pound deer. So as it's running, you hear this other footsteps and they all just ran by me ran by me ran by me and then um i did see a coyote uh a silhouette of a coyote on the horizon so it could have been the coyotes that were chasing and the big animals could have all just been deer hard to tell because it was so dark out and i think what i saw was a coyote it was so hard to tell because it was really dark and, you know, there was a little bit of moonlight out and a little bit of lights from some street lights and shit. But it was just so freaky to see some life and death shit taking place a hundred feet from you just randomly. Like I just randomly walked into a, a fucking gang hit, an animal gang hit. These fucking gangs of coyotes or whatever the fuck it was, one mountain lion or the coyotes were trying to kill someone that lives in their neighborhood and eat them. You need to get some night vision, son. Get like a Sony camcorder by the back door. What I need to do is get some game cameras. They have game cameras that will go off when they detect motion. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, we actually used them when we were hunting Bigfoot. Unsuccessfully. But we did get a picture of an elk. But (laughs) that's what they're for. You know, I I would love to have seen what the fuck it was. Could you imagine if I had a cool video of a mountain lion chasing down a deer? Or even a, a pack of coyotes chasing down a deer? 
somebody mountain would obviously be cooler but somebody was chasing a deer and i was watching it all happen it was nuts it was really freaky like because it was a hundred feet from me just fucking things running behind like whoa this is you know this is not what you expect you go out to check and see if the chicken's light's still on yeah, it's intense. It's pretty I'm intense. petrified of all that shit. Though. I love it. I would shit my fucking pants. I don't mind seeing a deer or an elk. We were talking about that show the other night. That For the most just, part, it's you're pretty safe. It's just interesting as fuck that we were discussing about oh, Alaska. Yeah, life when I saw the chick zero. that was that found the moose and skinned it and took the liver because she was anemic, and then they show the other guy walking from his house into the wilderness eating fucking weeds with a little bit of uh, food. I mean, they had like four different stories going at once. That was mm. the most interesting shit I've seen as a reality show in 20 fucking years. It's a very interesting show Great because show. it's not fake either. Oh, my God. Like, they're God. not faking anything like, oh, no, I lost my lighter. How am I going to... They're not doing any of that. The, the actual life itself that these people are living up there is so intense that it's, it's worth just paying What's attention the name of the show? to. Life Below Zero. Absolutely. Yeah, to me, it's one of the best of those uh, yeah. reality shows. I like the Alaska, The Last Frontier. That's another really That's good another one. That's another good one. Yeah, yeah. That's these a couple of them. Families that are homesteading up there, and uh, th- that's a really fascinating show because they seem like really, really nice people, really cool, like salt of the earth people that are living up there in Alaska, and like no one's a shithead. Alaska: The Last Frontier is the only show I've ever seen on reality TV where there's no enemy. Every person on that show is a good person. They're all very nice and very friendly. They all seem to have a good sense of humor. They seem to get along great. They seem to be good-natured. They seem to all be hardworking. No one's lazy. Everyone does their part. But all they're doing their whole life is stockpiling food and getting ready for the big freeze. And it fucking catches them for eight months. So for eight months, you can barely get around. You can barely do anything. It's fucking freezing for eight months. So the four months outside of that is all about gathering food. So the whole show is about these people catching fish or shooting a moose and and cutting it up or shooting a bear. They're getting their food entirely from the land. I watched the episode with the white dude with the Indian wife, and she's got like white dude with an Indian, Indian wife. wife, and she's got like she's got like three, four kids that are his. Oh, 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 and they got oh, a couple oh, girls and a couple Life boys. Zero, yeah, and they show them getting she's, out of the boat. She's an Eskimo, and, right? She's an Eskimo. Yeah. They show them uh, setting up the net so when the salmon mm-hmm. come through, they could get them. That was as interesting as I ever saw. What was the most interesting? I mean, not setting up the nets was that they involved the whole fucking family. Mm, yeah, everybody had to work. Everybody yeah. was working. Everybody was wet, fucking cutting knives and trees mm-hmm. and sweeping. So that really fucking was like wow. That's the little a, kids had yeah, big ass knives. Fucking kids they're know filleting these fish. They yeah. have a job. Oh yeah. yeah, like nothing. I'd be puking at that fucking. It was moment. intense. It's intense. Yeah, and you know, I thought that Eskimo was a bad word. I thought they decided that Eskimo was bad, and you're supposed to say Inuit. But she calls herself an Eskimo, so I don't know. I don't know what's the the politically well, I call correct. Her an Indian. I'm fucked up. <laughs> Indian <laughs> Eskimo. Well, it's not that far removed. You know, that was a funny thing that came out of, uh, there was a guy who was a, a rich dude who was a Mormon who was absolutely convinced that the Mormon doctrine was true and that Joseph Campbell really was correct that the American Indians were actually the lost tribes of Israel. <laughs> That's just fucking, this dude just made shit up, right? Joseph, that guy, Joseph Smith, who created Mormonism, is one of the most 
hilarious characters in, in all of recorded history when it comes to like a guy who influenced a large group of people to believe him because the stuff that he thought was so wacky. I mean, so much of it was just so ridiculous. But this was a big one that the lost tribes of Israel were the American Indians. So this fucking guy's like, I'm going to prove that this is a true story and the Mormon God is the only guy. Whatever. So this fucking guy spends a ton of money to get the American Indian, Native American uh, genome identified. It turns out they're from Siberia. They all came down from the Bering Strait. Like all the, the Native Americans, they, they, they're very, very similar genetically to people that lived in Siberia. It's pretty intense. You stop and think about that. You know, I mean, it, it's funny because this, this dummy actually believed they were from Israel. But, but, it's, Israel. It, but it is fascinating scientifically to think that they're all, they were, I love when scientists get it right. When they figured out that people walked across the Bering Strait and they made it to North America, they're like they mapped it out. They're right. Like, yeah, look, you see these Native Americans? They're from Siberia. It's the same folk, same folk who came down that. I like it when they're right. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to think that they figured that out. You know, they figured out how people got here and who got here first is always under debate. They're always finding some new shit. They just found some shit in New Zealand. They found uh, uh, a boat that was a uh, hundred years older than Captain Cook's. So they're trying to figure out who the fuck landed in New Zealand first now. Imagine if you had to live back then, Joey Diaz, traveling around by boat. I couldn't even fucking... Think. Have you ever done a cruise? Do you ever work a cruise? No. <laughs> Fuck work a cruise. Get the fuck out of here. No. You never no. Even thought about doing it back in the day? Fuck no. In the hard times, you wouldn't take a good gig on a cruise? Fuck. I don't even shoot me and shit. I gotta be on a boat talking to people. You know, when I do a show, they go home, I go home. On yeah. a boat, nobody goes home. You just walk around in fucking circles. And you bump into these fucking knuckleheads throughout the whole fucking day. Like, hey, how you doing? You're the one that insulted the Christian. Get the fuck that. Stop. Oh, God. It's two in the afternoon. I'm trying to get oh, a suntan here. I just want to tell you that I was offended by your performance yeah, last no, night. I and I told the captain. Shit. Yeah, I told the captain. And they, they you know, you, uh, I, I was on a boat one time that big. I uh, In the 80s, they still do. They have a thing in New York, uh, the trip to nowhere. And you get on the boat, 6 o'clock, I don't know. Weehawk on New York Harbor, and they take you outside the city limits, and you can gamble and you eat like a pig. You fuck the chicken. The next day they drop you off at six in the morning, and everybody's good. And I got sick for a little while to take the pills. And I've been on boats, like fishing boats, a lot. And when I was a kid, I was on every summer, and then in Miami, and then I started getting seasick when I got older. So right. one time I smoked a fucking joint. Let me tell you something. Being seasick is bad enough. Smoking weed and going on a boat on the Jersey Shore, that'll kill you. What, were, you were you freaking out? I just went down. I remember I got back to the fucking boat, and my friend kept smoking the joint. He's a savage. He's, like, <laughs> <laughs> he's out there fishing with one arm and shit, smoking joints. And uh, He kept saying to me, you sure you don't want to smoke anymore? Because I was out. We bought some strong weed in Harlem. I was out. It's and one of the most uncomfortable things. Yes. When you're too high and yeah, you're out in public. Oh. <laughs> but being on a boat. Oh, that's terrible. Something, you know, being high and getting on a boat is something, something that you're not used to. This times I got on a fucking, bro, I got on a fucking plane last week. I got anxiety like a motherfucker with those little planes. Ooh, those are spooky. Those did are spooky. You, did you get a, it? Was it a propeller one or was it a uh, a jet, a little jet? I didn't look. I just sat there and looked straight and <laughs> sweated like what fucking What kind of boots. noise did it make? Did it go? Ah, yeah. yeah, that's not good. <laughs> no, that's the one that those connected from Chicago to Nashville. I took oh, the early, Christ. early flight 
And I usually take the 11 o'clock direct flight, but I took the early flight. And I went into Chicago, and then I had a fucking flat in that little plane. It's anxiety. And they put you in that little seat by yourself. Mm-hmm. I was like in 3A. Well, so- it's weird that we rely on air travel to get to do our job, but we do. You know, both of us in a lot of ways. In more ways. I mean, what, what else? And people don't understand that it's tough to travel. I've just made it a simple situation. So have you. We, we've turned it into a situation that's so not uncomfortable. Well, you got to make sure you don't do it too much. That's one thing. Don't do too much. You got to know what too much is for you. And if you start burning out from the road, you got to back off. No, no, no. And I mean, as far as like uh, planes, like I know exactly what planes to catch. Yeah. Very oh, seldom yeah. do I get delayed. Mm-hmm. I know how to get a plane ticket now. You know, if first class isn't available, I can't upgrade. I know to get a thing for my ticket so I could sweep through security on the fucking whatever land. I just put the thing in for pre TSA. Let's see if they approve me. Who the fuck knows? Like, yeah, good luck. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> that would be know, fascinating I, I if they approved you. were a long fucking time ago. You know what I'm saying? If you can't take oh, a that's job, true, take but a show. The problem is people don't look at it that way because most people don't reform. I mean, how many people do you think that are like hardcore criminals ever actually fully reform? I got kidnapped and a couple of burglaries and some drugs. I ain't no terrorist. You know what I'm saying? I'm just a pimp trying to make cash. That's it. I ain't no fucking terrorism. I see things from your perspective. Clearly, I love you, but I also see things from the law enforcement perspective. I'm like, hmm, this guy might. Are you fucking crazy? He might not have ever gotten his shit together. No, I understand. But you know what I'm saying? You, you never mean, know. You never, you never know. know. I mean, you have, but I mean, how many guys that we knew when we were growing up who were criminals, stayed criminals, or wound up dying? Oh, no, I know. Like, everybody I knew that was a crazy person, like, they, they don't really. They're still really, fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah they're I'm pretty, still fucking crazy. Yeah. I'm just not a criminal. I'm still fucking out there. Do you think this is because you found an, an outlet? It's stand-up comedy that's just as exciting? Because I, I got to think that a lot of the criminal lifestyle is not just the fact that you're trying to get by. There's also a little bit of a charge in getting away with shit. Absolutely. For me, it was the charge. It was looking at a motherfucker and going, <laughs> yeah, what? Now what? You were talking all that shit the other Now what? You know, some guy run up to you. Dog, it's, to me, it was that. But comedy outweighed the thrill of doing that shit and more and more it just outweighed it so it became my love it became a passion it was like a it was like a seesaw you know it was like a seesaw it just kept switching and the love kept getting greater for comedy I put more emphasis on you can't do comedy in jail right you could do comedy in jail if you sit around the fucking thing with a bunch of brothers and jump up and down but you can't do comedy in jail did you also start to feel like you know with comedy you know you're 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 feeling that excitement but a positive result is coming out of it everybody's having a good time you're having a good time they're having a good time no one feels bad about it after it's over whereas when you do something criminal there's always going to be a a bit of remorse you're always going to think you'll justify it but there's always going to be a bit of remorse that you've resorted to stealing or hurting people or we all know i think inherently that's not the way to go. No, but you, you're, you and I are very smart in ways that we saw something that a lot of people didn't see, even though we loved something. You loved fighting. Till today, you still love fighting. But you thought about your life at the age of 50, and you said, I want to be able to pick up kids. I want to be able to remember my name. And there's no, even with football now, now we're seeing it more with football. With me, I know one thing for sure. I know one thing for sure, and we'll sit here till we find me. Name me a mobster, a criminal, a gangster that made millions and didn't die in a can or get shot. Let me tell you something. There's nothing worse than living your life like a pimp. I mean, you're 51, get a knock on your door. 
And now in your old age, you've told me a thousand times how much you fear getting older, not being able to take care of yourself. Yeah. Think of being 52, <clears throat> the feds come in, mm. they take everything. There's none left after those vultures come. And they put you in a, in a and cage. And they put you in a cage. And they and give you shitty food. And your family has to fend for themselves now. And they got a reputation now. These people can't live in a neighborhood. They can't live in a gated community. They were married to a... Uh, I always knew that the end result... I had an uncle who I loved as a kid. And I would go to Miami. My mom would send me to Miami for a summer. My mom didn't let me fucking stay in New York those early days. In the summer, I would go to Miami, and he built the Northwest. He built the Southwest. He was a construction guy. And he was like guys we grew up with. He was a heavy guy that did the whole job himself. He was the GC. He dug it. He laid the pipe. He did the brickwork, the wood. And he became this thing. He became a millionaire. But you know what he used to do every summer? He'd drive out here in a fucking uh, camper with his kids and stuff the bottom with weed and go back to Miami. <laughs> and I guess one summer he shot a motherfucker. And oh, I knew Jesus this guy. You know, Christ. when I was a kid, when I was a kid at night, he would take me and we'd go on a boat and we'd go out to Miami and he'd pull in the weed. And then we'd go to a warehouse and we'd drop the weed off and we'd go the next day. We'd get back to his room about five because his wife and him didn't sleep in the same bed. So I would hang out with my cousins. There were three of them. And I would sleep in the room with him. And at one, after TV, remember in the old days, the TV shut off at one. Once Mission Impossible turned off, the Pledge of Allegiance came on. And he would go, Coquito, get ready. And we'd get ready. We'd go to La Vaquita. La Vaquita's those little stores in Miami that you pull through and you buy a beer and a thing of milk and eggs. And he'd take a beer and we'd drive to the boat. And he'd get on the boat when I was seven. And we'd pull out. He'd pull in the weed. And then we'd go back. And then we'd go back, and the next day I'd go play with the kids, and I couldn't say nothing. Wow. And he trusted me because he knew that I knew what my mother did. But one day when I was down there, one summer, they knocked on his fucking door. And they arrested him when I was down there, and I had to go home. And then my mother told me what happened. He shot a guy, like in the 60s, and now it's the 70s, and he's in his backyard target practicing. Uh. And some guy in a new development eight miles away is walking his dog. And he shoots, and the bullet keeps going and hits him in the fucking leg. He goes to the hospital. They take it out. They scan it. It's the same bullet that shot the guy in California 10 years earlier. This motherfucker in the height of his career with his kids 7 to 10 has to sell everything, move his kids to a two-bedroom in Atlanta. Meanwhile, he had a house like fucking, you know, 10 bedrooms. He had to move his kids to Atlanta. The attorney he had to do eight fucking years. He came out when he was 64. Wow. You know what happens when you come out when you're 64 broke? There's nothing. He died. Then I, last time I talked to him was during the tornado in Miami. He was living in a fucking trailer. That lesson taught me right there that that's not the way. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather have a hard life and then it gets easy. And then when you're 60 or 70, you live like a doctor. You want to play with your grant. You want to look out the back. So I saw the same future you saw. You saw mm -hmm. it. You saw what the ending is. Yeah, I can end up on CBS Sports. <clears throat> but that's 22% of those people. The other 68, whatever percentage number is, they end up in hospitals. They can't remember their name. You know what I'm saying? Well, I was lucky that martial arts didn't have a venue back then. There wasn't a professional venue. Because when I was 21 years old, when I, I think I had my last fight either 21 or 22. But I, I remember thinking, where's this going? Like They had offered me a pro kickboxing fight for like 500 bucks, something like that. 
And I was like, okay, well, I got to train for like six weeks to make 500 bucks. Like, that's crazy. And I know that this is like uh, like a first fight. But then I was like, well, how much do champions make? So I, I found out this kid in Rhode Island that was a world champion. And uh, I was, you know, asking people to train with him. I go, is this, is this guy, is he well off? Like, how does he do? He's a, they go, bro, he, if he, he's lucky. If he's lucky, he'll make $1,000 for a fight. And I was like, what? And they were like, there's no money in this. And I was like, okay, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm either going to get hit in the head in Taekwondo tournaments for free because there's zero professional outlet, or I'm going to do kickboxing, which I was already sort of at a disadvantage at because I didn't start off my career kickboxing. So the transition from Taekwondo into kickboxing was going to take a little while for me to really get it down. I was getting better with my hand techniques, but fucking headaches, man. I would get headaches where I'd lie in bed and know that my head was throbbing because dudes had punched it. I just had taken shots in the head and kicks and punches and your fucking skulls getting rattled around. And there I'm alone in my shitty apartment in Medford, lying on a mattress, looking up at the ceiling, going, am I breaking my brain? Like, am I, am I, am I going to irreversibly break my brain doing this shit? Training for kickboxing tournaments, fighting three times in a day for nothing. Fighting for nothing. There was no money at all. There was no money. I came in second place in this kickboxing tournament. There wasn't a dime. It was just crazy violence for free, you know? And I thought about it, and I was like, there's only one option. I have to get out of this before I break myself because I can keep going, and maybe I could achieve some goals and start a school. But I had known at that point that I wasn't going to be a very good selective teacher because I didn't want to teach anybody who wasn't crazy. Like, if you didn't want to go to war, I'm really not interested in teaching you. I didn't want to do any aerobics classes. I didn't want to – I wanted to teach people who want to learn with every ounce of their being. I wanted to teach people who are obsessed like I was. I'm like, if you want to do this, you got to – this is dangerous. There's people like me out there. They're going to try to kick your fucking head off your neck for real. And if they hit you, you're fucked. And if you keep going, you're going to wind up on the opposite side of a ring with one of those fucking guys. And it's going to be a guy who is going to try to kill you. And you're going to try to kill him. And that's the game. And you want to learn that? This is what we got to do. And if you don't do it my way, if you don't do it the way that I've been taught and the way that my instructors have been taught and the way that everybody agrees is the right way to do it, I don't want to do it. I don't want to hear any cramp talk. I don't want to hear I'm tired. I don't want to hear shit. I want you to keep, I want you to force your body to work. And if you can't do that, we can't talk. That's terrible for business. I didn't want to advertise. I didn't want to put up flyers. I only wanted to get the hardest core dudes and women that were willing to fight. One of my best students was a chick that I, I started out from a white belt and brought her all the way up to a really strong blue belt about to get her red belt, which is right before black in, in Taekwondo. And she was badass, man. I taught her from white belt onto, uh, onto like into higher ranks. She would just dominated tournaments, man. This chick was crazy. She was, but she absorbed it. She was like a sponge. She would come in, there'd be all these hardcore people training, and she just got right into the mindset. All these people that had, you know, trained with me and that were ahead of me, like my friends like Leroy Rodriguez and Larry Jones and all these like top level national black belts all lived in this Boston area. And they would all train together and come down. We would train with each other and bring students in. And the ones that were obsessed, man, they were fun. The ones who really wanted to get better.
better. They just you could see them just with every technique they threw, they got a little bit better at it. Every fucking day they got a little bit better and you see them stretching and working on it and it's in, exciting. But then if you see someone who's like half ass in it, it's brutal. It's hard. I can't do it. I, I can't. I can't. You know, if they're not totally into it, I c- completely understand. But I don't want to be teaching you. You have to be a crazy person. If you're a crazy person, I'll teach you. Down in the corner for me, there's a Shotokan school, and I go for walks at night. And I go in there and I watch a 13 to 15 year old, and I realize how many hours did I waste doing katas. <laughs> <laughs> how many fucking hours did I waste? That's a doing big point of controversy in the martial arts community. Carters, fucking Carters. And you know what? I got good at when I was a kid. I would go to those dumb tournaments in New York, and I'd win first place in kata. But in those days, there was no full contact. There was no semi contact from the waist down, you know, to the waist right. to the neck. And I would always get disqualified for punching hard or something. <laughs> Everybody but I, I did. I sat there the other day and I go, how many fucking cotters did we do? Because now, if you know the cotter, they'll promote you. Mm-hmm. It's not like it, it was used that to then be. as well. It's it, not that in jujitsu. But- no, no, no. It's uh, it's. I tell you, I got my first stripe in jujitsu. Did you really? Yeah. Give me some seven knuckles. months. Seven my months. It took me seven months, dog. But I did it. And I'm just doing gi. I'm horrible at the no gi, dog. Hey, it's fine. I'm Dude, just, just getting the just gi exercise. shit together. But just enjoy I the exercise. Love it. I sweat Funny. on people. I fucking. You already love have it. a lot of knowledge, man. You know. No, we, I don't have jujitsu knowledge. Oh, you do. You have more than the average person. The conversations you've had with Eddie and with myself. Oh, great. Talking shit. He's one of the best in the world. He's one of the best instructors in the world. I'm just so the bad at the way he breaks gi, things down. And I'm so bad at the no gi and grabbing people's neck. I got mitts, bro, and I get really it's just time. insecure. And if you lose more weight, the more weight you lose, the really? more mobility you okay. get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just oh, that's all it is. let me tell you something. It's there's melt there's off, yeah. being in shape and there's being in jujitsu shape. No doubt, I can't go more than twice a week. It destroys me. So I try to go on Tuesdays and Thursday days. The guys, uh, I go to VMAC, but it's a John Jock school, mm-hmm. so I wanted to keep it in the family. It's in North Hollywood. It's a John Jock black belt, Marcelo, mm-hmm. but they have a Cabrinha black belt that teaches, a purple belt, and he's fucking tremendous, Joe Rogan. You know, I've always been a fan of just straight jiu-jitsu. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like the UFC, yeah. but for me, I love watching Eddie's videos. I've watched that Brazil video probably easy 500 times. For the last two years, I watched all of Marcelo Garcia's how to escape from the fucking side control. I love all his three escapes. Yeah, I love this- all that shit. And, I have, and I'm fans of certain people I really like. Stephen Kepling, I really like his stuff. He's a big white guy from Canada. Mm-hmm. Teaches some basic stuff online. It's amazing how much you could get online. Oh, yeah. Like, you could be in shape, but then there's jujitsu shape. Like, now I could do hip escapes just down one side. I can't do back and forth yet. But when I would go, those things are hard. But now when I go to a hotel and I do comedy, I go to the thing, I run, and I do hip escapes. I do them in a hotel now. That's it. You could get a real good workout with yeah, just body yeah, weight yeah, in a yeah, hotel. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do, if I just want to just do something to say I did something, I do 100 body weight squats and 100 Hindu push-ups. And that really gets your heart going, man. 100 body weight squats. When you start hitting like 70 and 80, you're like, whoa, this is fucking like your legs are burning. You have to take big deep breaths and complete it. And you can do it, but it's... You feel it's it. Out there. And then 100 Hindu push-ups is the same thing. When you're in like Hindu push-up number three, you're like, bitch, I'll do 100 in my sleep. But then you start getting like towards 70 and you're like, oh. And you're, by the time I do 100 of each, I've got a, a, a decent you know, 15-minute workout in. It's like it's something real. Well, isn't that gets your heart pumped. Yeah. It's just with your body. And then supplement that with some sit-ups, do some push-ups, and you could get a, like a rock-solid workout in a hotel room with no room at all. Easy. It's really nice. It's very nice. But I like everything. Everything's uh, 
nice and easy. Just, I do a lot of body weight stuff these days. Do a you? lot of body weight stuff. A lot of body weight squats and a lot of chin ups. I do a lot of like like all the way down chin ups, all the way down like this and slow because I think that's like motion that is like replicated in jiu-jitsu like pulling a body cinching up a choke like trying to pull someone in grabbing a gable grip trying to complete a sweep you know that's it's a lot of like slow pulling and it's like a long range of motion type thing like sometimes you're grabbing people from way out here and you're trying to suck them in you know so i think that chin-ups and and things along those lines like things that make your body like functionally strong i think those are really under underrated a lot of people want to just lift weights, you know. They just want to fucking tell you they like dudes telling me I put up three fifteen for four. Okay, what? Whatever. <laughs> what, what can you do with that body? You've got a Ferrari that you don't know how to drive. You know, you've got this crazy race car that you can't even take a first corner. You fall on your head. You're not an a- you're not athletic. Like you're not even using this like to get good at a sport. You don't do any sports. You just lift like a crazy meathead. Like, you got to do something with that shit. You're not going to know how to use it. 315. Go 315. Dumb my goal Four. at the end of this year is 315 for five. <clears throat> they high five each other and they secretly think about cock. <laughs> Slap asses and <sighs> just fucking maybe. When I first moved to Colorado, the guys next door to me would fucking lift. <laughs> you know, you know, just fucking insane amounts. And they would shoot Decca and just keep lifting. And that's all they did. And I couldn't figure out. Like, I would go down there and watch this. The form was great. They mixed uh, bodybuilding with strength techniques like uh, deadlifts. They had squats. And uh, and they did bodybuilding shit. Jesus Christ on a crutch. Uh, I was just laughing at something. What were you laughing about? Oh. Sorry, I spit coffee on myself. When you're talking about your friend who who used to have his mom shoot him with, with steroids, steroids while he was, he was doing a line, and he was on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! He caused the pod- coffee all over he myself. He caused the podcast every six weeks. He's still bad. <laughs> He's still alive. He's still alive. How is he still alive? That's what I'm talking about. And you know oh. the guy I kidnapped finally called the podcast, right? Yes, he told me. <laughs> That is so 26 ridiculous. 26 years later, he accepted the apology. And he calls me from time to time now. He says, hello, how are you? When I lived in Revere, uh, when I was uh, kickboxing, when I was teaching at uh, Nautilus Plus, there was a kid that used to work out at Nautilus Plus I became friends with. If he's listening to this, I, for, I'm, I, I forgot his name. I'm sorry. But we were friends for like a year or so. Very nice guy. But anyway, he was fucking huge. He was like my age. We were both like around 21. But he was fucking gigantic. Like, I don't know how much he weighed, but I was like, I was fighting at 160 at the time. So I was probably about 160 plus pounds. And he was maybe 200. And we were about the same height. And the dude was just fucking swole. Like, he looked way different than me. Like, he had a giant ass neck and giant shoulders. Looks different than me right now. He was just this big bodybuilder dude. And uh, I didn't know what he did. I, I didn't, I was totally ignorant to steroids back then. Totally ignorant because I was always trying to lose weight. I was not thinking about lifting weights and getting any bigger. I was trying to like f- compete at 154 pounds. So in, in Taekwondo and then 160 in kickboxing. But I, I, I asked him once we were driving somewhere and I go, uh, so what do you eat? And he goes, uh, he goes, oh, you know, I have about, uh, you know, 80% protein breakdown and this and that and that and this. And I said, now, and what kind of supplements you take? And so he tells me, you know, I take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. This is really good for your metabolism. And I said, do you do any steroids? And there's a pause. And he goes, dude, fucking look at me. (laughs) 
what do you think? Of course they do steroids. And I was like, oh, okay. But it was like the most hilarious conversation because he just, he just like looks at me and goes, dude, fucking look at me. Did what you, you ever hang with anybody that? whose world... What's that, American Gladiator star? Nitro, he just had a heart attack, and he blames it on uh, roid abuse. Wow. How about the blow he did for 30 years? It's the blow that's the issue. It's the blow with the fucking Shane Del Rosario, who is uh, the UFC fighter that died of a heart attack recently. Uh, He was a very cool guy, by the way, and a really good fighter and a very good kickboxer before. It's a terrible tragedy. This guy died of a heart attack, but apparently they released the coroner's results, and he had opiates in his system and cocaine. So, you know, it was who knows what caused it. But he also had uh, a condition uh, that he was born with, you know, that uh, was some sort of a, a heart condition that he had that was just genetic. So it was that on top of the other stuff. But the coke is what gives people fucking heart attacks, man. Let me ask you something. Did you ever hang with anybody who, I mean, hang like on a daily basis that steroids was their world? You know that scene in The Wrestler no. when he goes to buy the juice? Yeah. And the guy says to him, Right. I, I gave you two ounces of this, you yeah. know, whatever, vials of that. Da, da, da. When you in somebody's world that's like that, it is fucking insane. It is a, just a different dimension. Well, you know what it's like, man? It's like anything. It's like gun nuts. You ever talk to a gun nuts about calibers? Well, like the 50 cal with the 7 millimeter, the 5, 6, 7 a.m. They, they start talking in these crazy numbers. It's just 700 win mag. And you don't know what the fuck they're saying. It's You get confused. Well, I got a 308. I got a 270. The, the, you know, 22 caliber. Is a, the bullet goes at 3,000 feet, feet per second. Like, how the fuck do you know all this? They become dorks. They become gun dorks. Like my friend Justin. Very cool dude. 100% gun dork. He's a gun dork. We have conversations, and I say that with all due respect and love, because I love talking to him about guns. It's fascinating, because I love talking to people about anything that they're super passionate about. And this motherfucker is passionate about, about guns. guns. Yeah, He's got a amazing. ton of guns. He does competitions. He goes and does you know those room-clearing competitions where targets pop up and you shoot out a pink, pink. You know, they, they, they do all these you know, scoring events. So he, he loves that shit. So he'll, he'll talk to me, and you know, if, he'll get as geeky as I let him. You know, like if I go, well, keep going. Well, what does that mean? And he'll just keep going. I mean, he knows everything there is about loads and balances and impact and who makes the fucking most precise rifles. And it's like anything else. They do it about steroids. They do it about guns. Someone will do it about boats. They'll start telling you about the fucking best kind of of, of, of hand-carved wooden canoe you could buy. They have to buy it from a very specific type of wood. It has to be cured in a certain way. There's two manufacturers that still do it by hand. You know, there's guys that are... Uh, it's that way with everything. There's always some people that are completely fucking obsessed with whatever the subject is. If it's steroids, if it's MMA... How many fucking guys have you ever talked to that are like complete, total MMA history buffs? A like couple. Joe Silva... Let me tell you something. I know a lot about MMA. I know a lot of fights. I got a lot of fights in my memory. He's probably got double the amount of fights in his memory. This motherfucker will tell me, like, if he and I would be talking, there's a new guy that's brought into the UFC, and I'll say, what's his deal? What does he do? Joe Silva has seen this guy fight 20 times already, probably. And he'll, he'll just rattle off what his strengths and weaknesses are, what he's susceptible to, what I would do if I was fighting him. And nine times out of ten, he's on the money. He's on the money. I mean, that guy is obsessed with MMA. Obsessed. When I lived in Boulder, I had a problem with my ex-wife. And 
one of the first people I ever met in Boulder at a weed place. I was living on the hill. The hill is where the University of Colorado is. I was living a block away, not even, 10, 12, 14th Street. And next to me was the weed chick. She was 80, and her boyfriend was 20. They were deadheads. <laughs> His father and She was really 80? She had to be 50-something. <laughs> One of the ugliest women you ever seen in your fucking life. This kid was uh, like 20. They were both deadheads. They both smelled like death. <laughs> His father invented like the belly button ring or something. He was a millionaire. He got money every month. I found out they sold weed. I used to go over there and buy weed. And every time I was over there, there was this lanky, skinny dude named Ed. And I used to talk to Ed. And Ed and me hit it off. He was from Boston. Me and Ed hit it off. And I didn't know what Ed did. And every day I'd see Ed on the hill and I'd talk to Ed. This is 1985, brother. Right. And I loved Ed. And finally, I, I let Ed know what I did. You know, I used to do credit cards then and... And Ed told me, you know, we became friends. And Ed was a Vietnam vet, but he was a LERP. He's the one that went and cleaned up. Mm -hmm. After you fucked up, he went and cleaned up. And there was another LERP. There was a couple. What's a LERP? What is this term, LERP? Something that's bad. Like, these guys are bad. Like, danger bad. A cleaner. Like a cleaner, bad, like just, just bad the, news. The guy you call when yeah, the shit completely hits like the, 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 the With the cards and shit, they're the ones that left the cards in Vietnam. When they shot you, they left the ace of spades or some shit. So Lerp. he had a buddy who his name was like, he had like a weird name, and that guy thought he was the devil. And I had heard this from other people. That, that guy, And he, they all bought weed at this house. And I became friends with him. Over the years, I became friends with Ed. And I knew Ed was a stone-cold killer when I went to the vet thing with him one day. I gave him a ride to the vet thing. Mm -hmm. And on the walls there, bro, there were pictures of him with kids and purple stars and medals. And I'm like, Ed, are you fucking serious? So I thought Ed was a good-hearted American. You know, bro, Ed was a great guy. He was my brother. And if he's listening, I haven't talked to him in 20 years. I love him and I miss him. But Ed was a stone-cold killer. I made the mistake of telling Ed I had a problem with somebody. And every time I'd see Ed, we'd, we'd smoke a joint, and on the third puff, he'd go, so when are we going to kill that guy? <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't kidding. So the guy that thought he was a devil was Ra. That's what he used to call himself. Ra was dying from Agent Orange. And I guess him and Ra were doing fucking bangs on the side, like hitting people. I didn't know this in my whole wow. knowledge with him. But every time I'd see Ed, he'd go, what's up, dog? And he hugged me. And I loved him. He was my brother. Right. But I knew he was serious. He's like, when are we taking out that dude? And every time I'd see him, his plan changed. Like, he had been thinking about this. And finally, he's like, listen, I got the cones. We're going to let him pull out a baseline. These motherfuckers want to pull them out of the car and baseline in Boulder. Like, we're going to set cones up. Like, we're firemen. And when he comes by at 918, we're going to pull him out of the car. And their whole plan was like, I was like, what are you going to shoot him with? He goes, bro, we don't shoot people. I told you this. He goes, we don't shoot people. We take them up into those hills. We tie those motherfuckers up, and we just wrap them with peanut butter. And we come oh. back three days later, and it's Gisa. All they find is like a little elbow on oh, the floor. Jesus He goes, Christ. the bears. I mean, these guys are fucking serious. The bears just eat Every you? time I'd see him after that, dog, what's that dude's That's name? That's fucking scary. You don't want to do this, Joey? Joey, let me take care of him. Just for you. You're my friend. I love you. I mean, that's how it got. This is like I've been around some crazy people, and that's why I respect Colorado so much till this day. There's some fucking animals walking around those weeds, bro, up in Boulder. And I love Ed. I mean, bro, if I introduced you to Ed and you met Ed, Ed would drop shit on you that you go, dog, your friend's a fucking genius. What the fuck's he talking? Never talked about weapons. Never, you know, he never told you he was a Vietnam vet. 
He never, it took him a month and a half to tell me. I had to drive him to the fucking vet place to get medication. Wow. The real deal. Yeah, there's some crazy people out there. That's it's why crazy. I always I get mad. Who the fuck fucking comes up to you and goes, Joe, what's this guy's number? Let me go down there and smack the shit out of Paulie Shaw. You know what I'm saying? There's people that will do that shit. They're just waiting Please for the time. No, don't. I'm Please just don't. I just said Paulie Shaw. I don't know why. You shouldn't I say Paulie. Paulie. I got no problem with Paulie Shaw. No, I got Shaw. no problem with Paulie. Uh, but it's fucking crazy. <laughs> Because there's people out there with their fucking phone on speed dial, ready to hit that comedy store number. The funny thing is I had a friend who was the same way about steroids, and he's dead too. And I hung out with him and his little steroid crew, and it was fucking amazing, the lingo. The lingo they threw around was the way you and I discuss sets. Going to Boston for the weekend, doing two shows, how great it was. These motherfuckers like, nah, dog. I get up in the morning, I do a protein shake, and then I blast off a little Decker. Then when I come out, <laughs> I take 10 tablets of D-ball. Those tablets were 5 milligrams. Like People would go do one. These guys are doing 10. We had uh, Gene LaBelle on a podcast, you know, Judo Gene yeah, LaBelle. Yeah, I was just reading the book. Famous, so. yeah. Yeah, 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 I was reading famous, the book. Famous uh, for not just his martial arts, but his stunt work. Did a lot of stunt work. And he was telling us there was a guy that he used to be friends with that died from steroids who used to shoot up every 30 minutes. He said every 30 minutes he would disappear, he'd go into his bathroom and hit himself with something else. He was just doing different shit all day, more than 300 pounds. They got Jeep, what was his name, Jeep Swinson? Do you remember, Brian? Jeep Swinson? The guy was, was one of the he weirdest had bodies things. for arms. There was like a body. That it was, was his arm. the weirdest thing when I hung out with him, and I miss him. But I remember how he used to tell me the last shot I'd do is Fridays after the workout. <laughs> I go down the show, I do some blow, I drink some beers, I eat some Burger King. When I come back Sunday, I look in the mirror, ba-boom, I'm Jesus bigger than what I left. Back it up, that's the guy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's not even a person anymore. Where's the fucking barbarian, bro? The best of the people who deny doing steroids. <laughs> you have a friend that came up to me to shoot, and he said to me, how you doing? Joe Rogan, ever tell you about me. The guy is ginormous, a black dude. Box Gin- out? I don't know what his name is. The guy from the Pride? No, 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 he's not a fighter. Oh, okay. He's just an actor. Okay. And he goes, I'm a friend of Joe Rogan's. Did he tell you about me? I go, no. He goes, I was on Fear Factor, big black bodybuilder. Oh, yeah, 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 Yoked. yeah. Yoked. Very, very nice guy. Yoked. Him and his his buddy were, were both bodybuilders, and they were competing, and they, right. got, they got their ass kicked. I did some That's movie with body the guy. <laughs> I did some movie with him, and the people were like, so do you do steroids? He's like, I've never done steroids in my life. And That's I said, hilarious. He was like the Barbarian Brothers. Again, we go back to the Barbarian Brothers. Please, where are the Barbarian Brothers? I want to smack the shit out of both of them. They used to say that they never did steroids. They just ate 36 eggs a day. Well, it depends on what kind of steroids you shoot into your eggs. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's theoretically possible. A day. What do your chickens look like? Your oh. chickens are fucking terror birds oh, running around your backyard. Well, you know, see, oh, okay. still around. Those guys, like if I'm looking at that picture, I could believe that either one of those guys didn't take steroids. If you had a good genetic disposition, if you have good uh, mesomorphic genes and you really power lift hard, you can get that big. My friend Brian Fraser, I always tell a story because uh, Brian, uh, who is uh, a comic and writer, wrote for a bunch of different different shows. But um, he was at one point in time a serious bodybuilder, and he never did a steroid in his life, a hundred percent. I know for a fact that all he did was eat good food. He he actually uh, would pride himself on the fact that uh, he wouldn't take supplements. He would get all his food from vegetables and meat and stuff like that. But he was fucking huge, and he was a hundred percent natural. He was just obsessed. That motherfucker was at the gym every day, and he was like like one time he went on stage, and uh, after the show, I go, dude, you can't wear short sleeves. You gotta stop doing that. 
He goes, why? I go, you're too big. I go, it's too distracting. I go, you freak me out. And we're friends. I go, you're fucking huge, dude. You can't just... I mean, his... His arms, like he, everything that he would wear, would be like tight to his arms like that because his arms were literally double the size of my arms. They were. He was a huge guy, and it was all natural. Well, I'll tell you what, Wait, and, I, and I'm here to tell you. Huh? You, so you think this uh, right here is? I mean, that looks no, that looks, looks roided looks up, super steroid. Yeah, yeah that those guys have been juicing. Up. That's 1982. I want to see him today. But okay. Brian was close to that size. No bullshit. But the discipline that Brian Fraser has is, a, is like he's a crazy person. He's got, he's got like a radical amount of discipline. And when I got locked up, I'll argue this point. A lot of guys are doing eight, seven, six years. I was the stock clerk in the kitchen after I almost blew it up for making the, the, the fucking cinnamon donuts, the cinnamon things. I made them too big and they right. fired me. And part of my gig was hiding steroids for a lot of the Invix. A lot of the Invix would get steroids. <laughs> Invix is one of my favorite words that you use. <laughs> yeah. The Invix, Invix. would fucking uh, get, you know, and they would get a, nothing, I'm sorry, nothing with syringes. It was Anivar and uh, there was another one. Winstrol, Winnie V. Win, Winstrol V pills, three milligrams, of, a milligram and a half. That was big in there. And what these savages would do, you know, I knew who was doing steroids, but there were some black guys that had been locked up for 10 years <coughs> and had families that couldn't afford fucking steroids. And they would, uh, they would, uh, these guys were yoked, Joe. And they were getting yoked. And when I say yoked, you know, low fat on, low, low, not a lot of fat, a little rip to them. Right. And they were doing this for prison food. <laughs> It's so, terrible. No protein. I, I don't fucking know what happened to people. Well, you could buy protein powder. Right. You could order protein powder in there. own vegetables? And yeah, you get broccoli and lettuce. It's it's yeah. it's Burger King lettuce. It's the same shit they give you at Burger King and that fucking cheeseburger. You know, it's not, it's a Nicaraguan shit. It's not the <laughs> shit. Yeah, it's not good lettuce that when you bite into it, it's fresh. <laughs> but uh, these guys were getting yoked in there on protein powder. You wow. know, like Joe Weeder protein powder. You know, when Look it was at that guy. <laughs> this is them now, Joey. <laughs> They're still huge. Oh, my God. That guy's huge. Yeah, no steroids in my ass. <laughs> yeah, there's no, no question. But I'm telling you, my friend Brian was pretty close to that size. We did a gig together in, um, I want to say Vermont, Vermont and New Hampshire, one of those. And uh, he had a bit of a cold. He, like, his voice is really raspy. And uh, after the show, he had a great set, but after the show, he apologized to the club owner. He was just real conscientious about shit like that. He goes, I'm really sorry. My voice has been bothering me all week. And the guy was like, don't worry about it. Listen, you killed. It was a great show. And he goes, uh, he goes I, just, I just feel like it wasn't my best performance. I just, you know, I just want to apologize. And the guy was like, hey, will you stop being a Jew about it? He didn't know that my friend was Jewish. Because Brian doesn't look Jewish. He's blonde. He looks like a, like a Midwest football guy. He looks like, you know, he's got blonde curly hair. He's this big fucking thick neck gorilla. And the guy calls him a Jew. He says, like, just stop being a Jew about it. He just thought that he was being cute. He's trying to be funny. He goes, I am fucking Jewish. And, you know, his face gets red. And fuck you, you fucking racist piece of shit. You anti-Semitic cocksucker. Like, he just, like, totally takes it, like, to, like, level 10. And the guy was like, hey, calm down. It was just a... 
just an expression of speech. Like he's leaning over this guy's desk. The only, the only thing that's saving him is the fact there's a desk between them. You know, otherwise Brian would have probably got directly in his face, and the guy might have swung at a just sheer panic, or who knows what the fuck could have happened. And while I'm watching this, I'm like, I'm like what am I gonna do? I'm like he's way stronger than me. I can't, I can't grab him. I'm not gonna hit him. He's my friend. Like I don't know what to do because like he was like he was a gorilla, and I'm like I can't keep him off this guy if he decides to get on this guy. I don't know what to do here. And he just calmed down at the last minute. He was like, fuck you! Takes his check and fucking storms out of there. And I tell the guy, well, I don't think you're going to say that again. <laughs> Sorry. And the guy just looked at you. The guy didn't know what to do. He was shitting his pants. He was an older guy, too. You know, he was, he was, he, he was legitimately terrified. Brian was an enormous guy. I mean, he wasn't going to hurt the guy. I'd never known him to do anything violent ever. But goddamn, he scared the fucking shit out of the dude. He just, you never expected he was Jewish. He didn't look Jewish at all. You know, you think of Jewish, you think of dark-haired people. Where he, is he? I don't know where he's doing. He was out here for a while. I ran into him once in a movie theater a few years back. He was doing stand-up? No, I think he was just writing at the time. Funny dude, though. Did you get to see Anchorman 2 yet, Joe? No, I bought a joke from him. He's the only, there's two dudes I ever bought a joke from, and he's one that I, I never used it, but I've talked about it on the podcast. It was a heckler line that he created. And he goes, this is my impression of God creating you. Okay, just a dash of cunt. Oh no, the cap came off. Too much cunt. I've ruined it. <laughs> and he needed money at the time, so, he, and he says, like, I'll never say it on stage. So he sold it to me. I think it was 500 bucks. Whoa. It's worth it. That's a lot of money. Hey, the dude needed some money. Uh, I thought it was a great line. It's worth 500 bucks. That's a great line. For me? I never even never used it on stage. Maybe, maybe I used it once. Can't remember. I'm going to go pee real quick. Keep that but it's one of the few things I've ever paid for. There's a werewolf in the new Anchorman. I just wanted to let you know. Very Well, well then I'm in. <laughs> I was going to be in anyway. It looks hilarious. The fucking ass look awesome. Yeah. It looks like the perfect get baked and see a silly movie movie. Definitely get really, really baked. Did you see it already? Yeah, yeah. You have to get really baked, though. It's super ridiculous. <laughs> and if you like the first one, you'll love this one. But there were so many good cameos in it. And when I saw that werewolf transformation, I'm just like, oh, Joe's in. You should have fucking... Yeah. You just ruined it for everybody, oh, man. Silly. Spoiler alert, you son of a bitch. The, anything Will Ferrell does, I'm in. Yeah. That guy kills me, man. Talladega Nights is still one of my all-time favorite comedies. Just the sheer ridiculousness of it all. It's like, I love that kind of comedy. Like, a guy who's like a complete, total buffoon, who's like a good-hearted guy, who fucks everything up. Last night, I got to see David Arquette do stand-up comedy. He uh, came into the comedy store and just like bought... He's like, I, everyone's uh, bill is on me. Like, he paid for everyone's drinks last night. Like, wow. There's a lot of fucking people there, too. And That's it, interesting. Why did he do that? I don't know. <laughs> he, he's just holidays, I think. I think he comes in once in a oh. while for holidays. But then he went on stage and did, like, a little little set. And it was interesting. But, you know, I didn't see the whole thing. But It's hard to do yeah. stand-up after you're already famous. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's especially when you're known for doing comedy movies and... You know, and then you try to create your own stuff and go on stage with it in that form. And it's, so, it's also so raw. What you got to think of a guy like that is so insulated from regular people in like a performance setting. Everything he performs gets put out there on television or in the movies, and he's not there when, it, when the people are seeing it. Who's but this? David Arquette. Guy being an actor, comedy actor. But I'm saying like the, the transition between that and doing stand-up in front of a live audience in a small place like the comedy store... 
That's a big goddamn transition. That's hard to do. There's a lot of it's really interesting seeing how many like uh, actors and musicians will just try stand up comedy. They'll yeah. just come to the comedy store one day. And next thing you know, John Mayer's on stage. Well, like, you what know the what, heck? man, they can do it. It's not like we could do uh, open mics for music. Can you imagine right. if we showed up at open mics for music and just started singing fucking terrible songs. We are the world. <laughs> we are the world. We oh, like we are the world. Like Bruce Springsteen. We are the children. <laughs> Be all serious about it. Be I think if you do one of those open mic nights, you probably have to do your own music, right? You have to be original. I don't know. I would imagine. That'd be ridiculous. Unless it's a really old song, and then you're doing like a badass cover of it, where you like wiggle it around a little bit, change it, do a little Dwight Yoakam doing Elvis, that kind of shit. I guess you'd get away with that. I always thought it was really cool when Johnny Cash did Hurt by Nine Inch Nails. Because yeah. that sounds like, one, he picked a Nine Inch Nails song, but two, he made it his own. Dude, it, it, seems just, like it, it seems like it was his song the yeah. whole time. And Rusty Cage by yeah. Soundgarden, too. He did a couple songs yeah. like that. Yeah. And Hurt, dude, is my one of my favorite Johnny Cash songs ever. Yeah. Just because he was so fucking old when he yeah, did that, yeah, he mo- was- that video. That song and that video were done when he, was, he knew he was on his last days. That guy lived hard. That was the real crazy road life, the rock and roll life. Those country stars. Shit. Dude, those country stars back in the day, like him and, you know, Merle Haggard and all those motherfuckers, those guys went hard, dude. That's a that's a whole different kind of partying. And that movie, that was a good goddamn movie. It was just on the other day, and I watched it for Walk a while. Walk the line? Yeah, the whole time I just As far watched. as movies about like iconic figures, m- m- musical figures, it's one of the best. It's one of the best. I like that. She Joaquin was great. Phoenix, she was great. She's fantastic. She's good in that movie. She's fantastic. And Joaquin Phoenix is a bad motherfucker. It's a great fucking movie, man. Johnny Cash. It's my dog's name, Johnny Cash. I'm st- st- I've always been a huge Johnny Cash song. Just because he was so legitimate. You know, like he was so legit. His songs were, they, they just seemed right. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like there was like Folsom Prison Blues. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. You know, just the, the idea that this guy's sitting in the prison looking at these guys come by in a train. They're probably drinking coffee and smoking big cigars. Fuck, he was awesome. What is this right here? Uh, redemption by Johnny Cash. Sin and redemption, and thank God for redemption, or I wouldn't be here. Which is the title of the last song I wrote for the album. He's also one of the Highwaymen, which is one of the great unheralded songs of our generation. Have you ever heard that song, I Was a Highwayman? God damn, that's a fucking song. It's Willie Nelson, Merle Haggard, Johnny Cash, all together. And I think someone else, too. Who the fuck else was in there? That's uh, Kelly Kirsten. <laughs> Kelly Kirsten. <laughs> She's gonna think we don't love her. Uh, better let her know you love her. I haven't seen her. You know you love her. I love Kelly. I Kirsten. love Kelly Kirsten. Kelly Kirsten. <laughs> you forgot about that, didn't you, Brian? <laughs> yeah. That threw me off. Too. It just came to me, Kelly Kirsten. Who else is yeah, I'm trying to find Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, and Chris Christopherson. That's yeah, who yeah, it was. That was a tour that it was Budweiser tapped out on. Wow. Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, and Chris Christopherson. Holy shit. Chris Christopherson is a bad motherfucker. Fuck yeah, he is. All the way up to those Blade movies, he was a bad motherfucker. Yeah, his good. old you dudes got what? bored and they decided to tour together. You know what he was good in, bro? Payback. Play a little of that. Wasn't he in Payback with, with James Coburn and Mel Gibson? 
Was he? Yes. Really? He's the gangster in Payback. Well, he's a good actor on top of being a great musician. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'm not being facetious about those Blade movies either. I, I love those movies, man. Especially the first one. I love the first one. I first one was great. I love the first, first one. was great. First one, I love the music. It's one of music. Stephen Dorff's best movies. Yes. No, it's One of his best great. performances. It's the bad guy. You know who else is good in that? Donald Logue. Everybody's good in that. It's, it's a fucking great goddamn movie. As far as like vampire comic book movies go, that was a great one. No, I liked it. It got, you know, as the, they progressed yeah, no, into two one. and three, I, they kind of got I didn't even like two that funky. Much. I liked the first one. But I was a huge fan of that, that comic book when I was a kid. Blade was awesome. He had teak knives. He had knives that were made out of wood. Teak is like a really hard wood, and that's how he kill all these vampires. If they put it through their heart. That's the yeah, well, all these teak blades. It's amazing that when... Things go bad for an actor. They always, they. It pisses me off that they get into comedy, and it pisses <laughs> me off that they try it like if it's just another day at the fucking office, and if they only knew that it's not a, a, another day at the office. A lot of them try it for a while, and they make it on charisma and stage presence, mm-hmm. dance and, moves, and as dance Tom moves, would say. and it's 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 a thirty minute thing. To be up there an hour, it really needs the perfection and the whole thing and. It's just something that it doesn't eat away at my crow. It just surprises me that somebody could think. It's like if I, I could say, you know what? Instead of going to the Shotokan white belt class, I'm just going to go to the black belt class. And I'm just going to walk in there because I could throw a good sidekick. That's what you're making me feel like. You're not respecting the people around you. Like, I don't think they have any idea what it is no, until they, they start doing they it. They don't. They don't. They don't. Uh, but I don't think any of us did either. I don't think we really knew what it was until we started doing it. Yeah, but we stuck with it. That's the difference. Well, they okay. could too, right? I mean, all I mean, it's hard to make a big generalization. But they could. There's guys who have uh, started out as actors, got into comedy, and actually fell in love with comedy and liked it better yeah. than acting. You ever have a leak in your thing? You always call the plumber. You don't yeah. try to do it yourself. You may have a love for plumbing, <laughs> but you're not going to fucking do it yourself, are you? And that's why I don't take offense. It's just something that really, bitch... Really? You're just going to walk into the dance and think you're going to take over this motherfucker like GSP? Well, you love comedy, and you're also very competitive in a lot of ways. Like, your mm-hmm. your idea about uh, comedy, like, it's very competitive, and that comedy is, uh, that's that's the, the highest heights. And these people that want to slide over as actors and think they're going to disrespect it. Yeah, no, no. I would never, ever disrespect somebody like that. I can't yeah. imagine. Like, oh, that looks easy to do. I know some way there's talking. hard work. It's just That's yeah. the problem. It's really weird that now more than ever I get emails from people that, yeah, we, you know, Death Squad's inspired them to do stand-up, and they get on stage, and that's great. But then there's that second journey. There's that second push that it really comes from you that yeah. a lot of people just don't get. It just, it's just... Well, it's a long-term proposition. There's no way around it. You can't pretend, you know, you can't do it for a couple of years and come up with a few minutes and think you're a fucking national headliner, because you're not. It's a long-term proposition, and a lot of it is based on you're, you're going to have a bunch of different kinds of crowds, a bunch of different kinds of scenarios, and you're going to have to find your voice by navigating all those different waters. And it's tricky, and it's not easy. It's going to take a long time. You're going to restructure your act. You're going to have shows where bits kill, and then another show where bit turns the whole audience off, and you can't figure out what the fuck went wrong. You've got to figure it out. 
It's not about having a couple of good shows. It's about massive consistency over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows and figuring out where your voice is. That ain't easy no matter what you're doing. If you were doing fucking slam poetry contests, if you were writing books, if you were singing songs, like finding your particular voice is fucking hard, man. To be genuine, to be completely unique and genuine and, 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 and completely original like to your own thoughts, very hard. Very fucking hard. Just seems easy because you go on stage and you're like, "What's up, bitches? What are you doing there?" You know, and you start talking shit and people are laughing. You're like, "Damn, I can talk shit too," but they don't realize how much work it took to get you to where you could just figure out what are the right words to say, what's the right mindset to be in when you're on stage, what are the right combinations, what's the right way to settle into bits, what's the right way to lead them into a story. What's the right? What, what keeps them activated? What what backs them down? What picks them up? It's like if there's a little dance you're doing when you're up there. Like I watch it. I know what you're doing. I see it, and I've known you forever. I knew you back when you were having a real hard time with stand up, which to me is fascinating because you're the only guy that I've ever met that was having like a really hard time with stand up, and then out of nowhere, like you hit a switch. You went from having a hard time with stand-up to being a fucking murderer. We would... It was almost like you, like you fucking passed through a doorway or something. Like, within two years of you working at the store, you just figured it out. You just figured it out one night. And we yeah. were up on stage, and we were, we were in the back, rather, and you were up on stage. We were watching you. We were like, damn, Joey Diaz just turned a fucking corner. You just figured out how to be funny. You figured out who you were up there. It's really weird when you... uh you get into anything. There's always that, Jesus, I'm not improving. Yeah. I'm coming here. I'm showing up. And mm -hmm. this is, just isn't working. And then one day out of the fucking blue, pow, pow, it just starts working. And it's really weird with stand-up. You don't want to go to sleep. You want to go home and keep writing. Yeah. And writing. And, and, and you're, I, I became infatuated from 95 to like 98, but I had so many other things going on. You know what I'm saying? I had yeah. so many fucking things going on that I couldn't really focus. focus. And then yeah. I moved to L.A. And I had all these distractions. You have all these stupid distractions when you first move to L.A. and you're a comic. Agencies, this, that, this, that. And then one day, you just something hits you and it goes, these motherfuckers don't matter. Nothing really matters. I got to go up there and speak what's in my heart. And you just start going. And little by little, once you find your voice, you become a savage. That's it. It's like a it's like a shark tasting blood. It's like anything else where you get that taste and you just go after it. And, and you know, the comedy store is the fucking comedy store, man. Once you get in the comedy store, to me, that's like, you know, John Jock. That's the comedy store. That's it's it's John Jock Machado. It's those upper high level. That that's it. It's a high level place. It's, it's especially that, in the in, the, the, the 2000s community. when yeah. we were down there. There was there was uh, some in, intense comedy that and was it going does on something there. For your Duncan and Ari coming up there, and you coming up there. It was a really intense time. And you you go on stage and you get this weird confidence, and it's this fucking thing. You just get stronger and stronger. Then the more people you go up in front of, because then in the beginning they make you go up in front of people. You, mm -hmm. go, you know, going up in front of Mitzi Shore is nerve-wracking. And going on after. They put you on after yeah. a lot of guys that were really funny. Yeah, and you're going up in front of Mitzi Shore. You have no idea what that does to you at the six-year mark going up. I cannot describe it. I've thought about it and have written about that experience thousands of times. And nothing was more like I blacked out. I had a blackout to go in front of Mitzi Shore. 
because I knew it was it for a guy like me. If Mitzi Shore turned me down, you know what? I was going to go back to Boulder, probably stab one of those motherfuckers with, with Al. <laughs> Come out. I would just been getting out now. I would have been institutionalized. There's no turning back from that. It would have crushed my ego. Her, her taking me gave me another five-year reprieve in my life. I knew I got something to do for five more years before I go to jail for killing somebody. Like that's how I felt. Did you really feel like you were going to do that? Because when I met you, I never got that from you. Yeah, yeah, I was. I hurt. didn't get that. That's from what you. part of the part of the 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 jump in my comedy was the day I wrote her the letter, and I said, "You can't scam me no more. You want to take the kid, take the fucking kid. What am I going to fucking do?" Wrote your I'm wife. Gonna, is yeah, that you're talking like, about? I you're... called her up one day and told her. Okay, I didn't know who you're talking about. Yeah, I told her that I didn't. You know that at the end of the day, and I was being this. You know, some people really can't handle the truth, and sometimes you have to tell them. And I had to talk to her and then talk to her again in 99. When I took that change, it was around 2000. You met me in 97. It took me about three years. But one day in 99, before I went to bed, I was clean for a couple days, maybe three days. And I went to bed early, and I had my wits to me, and I said, I'm not going to fuck with this no more. It was one of these things that I was going into the lion's mouth. I, I had to walk on a fine line with her. Because I wanted to be a, a part of that kid's life. But it wasn't right. looking that way. And I wasn't going to take her shit no more. One morning I got up nice and early. And I went and got a calling card. And I called that motherfucker. And I just laid it out to her. And I told her the opening line was, I'll never forget this, that, listen, between you and I. And she knew me. I said, you know if you were on fire, I would not piss on you. The only contact <laughs> I'm having with you is because of this child. Right. So I'll pay for a separate phone in her room. And I don't have to talk to you no more. Right. Because she wanted, what was killing me at that time was she wanted to take and change the child's name. Right. And my position was when my father died, my mom remarried. My poor dad that died, I had to keep his fucking name. That was just something in my heart. So I always felt that that's, let her become 18. Let her decide what the fuck she wants to right. do. That was eating away. I mean, one day it had no value. A name didn't have a value to me. And this whole situation didn't have a value to me. Once I analyzed it and said, fuck this bitch and what she stands for. I turned that corner because I dropped luggage off. There's nothing. Sometimes in comedy, sometimes in life, you're just carrying around some luggage, man, that doesn't let you move. Yeah. The box is five feet, but the door is only three. Sorry, motherfucker. And you got to drop that shit. And until you drop that fucking box, you ain't going to go through that door. Too many people get locked into those relationships, uh, whether friendships, friendships, former ex, you know, ex-wife and husband, whatever the, you want to call that relationship, exes. But they're like two deer with their fucking horns locked yeah, together yeah, and they no. can't separate. And they fucking every day is a push pull. They fuck with each other on purpose. You know, I've I've known people that went through horrible divorces where, you know, you could tell that like they would they would like be setting up each other like, you know, fuck him, make him pay more, you know, uh let's let's agree to one thing and then change the terms, just keep keep the bills coming in. And like I've I've heard people talk like that. It's a, it's a horror show. It's and, crazy. And it's scary. Uh, and this is this was the bad end of it, Joe. That this is the already I had the job in Boulder that paid the most for an uneducated schmuck like me. I was working for a sports advisor. And you can make anywhere from twenty to sixty thousand a football season in six months. You can make some cash. That's insane. That. There were some guys that make a hundred grand. There was some. I had a month in December. I made twenty five grand working the fucking phones. God, you just got to get some fish to bet and send you money. Believe that you're his. You're gonna take him through the fucking bowl season. Listen, bro. You want to make fifty? It's gonna cost you twenty. Go to Western Union. Send me twenty thousand. 
and we'll talk about sending you So 50. they're basically buying your knowledge they're buying on your knowledge, but you're buying your bullshit. It's bad karma also. Really? But this is what I was doing. So I knew this. I knew this. All right, I come to L.A. Mitzi Shaw don't pass me. Maybe the improv passes me. But my dream was Mitzi Shaw. Who the fuck are you kidding? My whole thing was the store. From day one, people told me to go to the fucking store. That's your house. That was my fate. If she turned me down, I would have probably gone back to Colorado, probably gone to work over there. You know, but you'd done sets in Seattle. You were doing yeah, comedy Yeah, but I couldn't there. go back to go to Seattle. I would have gone back to Colorado and tried to be a dad. And one day, dog, I know me. <laughs> one fucking day, the car breaks down. They're snowing out. You get one of those bills, overdue bill. And that's it. You bump into this fucking mook, and he gives you that attitude with his flip-flops on. I was going to run over this motherfucker, and I was going to do 50 fucking years. Yeah. So, you know what? As much as I, the comedy store has that much power in my life. That her in your life, me, it came along at the right time, It right? came along at the right time. Do you think the people create that? I mean, that's like the big, uh, the big hippie, new age uh, argument about life is that you create these possibilities in life that you're you're responsible for all these different events that are happening to you they're not random events these are invent- events that are sort of created by your own intentions yes do you feel I, that sometimes absolutely one thing i learned was that until you take responsibility you ain't gonna move forward mm-hmm. there's motherfuckers that get off the stage bro the audience sucks the sound yeah the, uh, I Listen, watched a guy eat did, the I plates bombed, of bro. shit in Vegas. Bro, that was hysterical. That. I fucking bombed. Yeah. And that's it. And everything else. And until you come through that, you can't really... And that was big for me, that I believe that... You know, hey, listen, I go to bed now. I go home. I put my feet up. I watch the news, and I go to bed like nothing. You know, 20 years ago, I didn't go to bed like nothing. I had to shut my window a certain way and close my door some way, and I couldn't leave the light on at night because I owed money to a drug deal. I robbed somebody. I created all those scenarios. I didn't. I didn't make that kidnapping up. I went there with a gun. I knew what I was doing. But it's funny that how quick the turnaround was between like '99. You know, like it's it all just sort of stopped. It all stopped. Luggage, then. and it kept stopping. You know, it kept stopping. Kept you know? getting better. So what you're telling me is that I never did blow again after 2006. That's what you're trying to tell me. Who? Me. That's what you're trying to tell me. That Why I never... would I say that? No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. What do you think? I'm crazy? That's the weirdest way to phrase that sentence ever. I'm just saying that. So you're telling me I haven't done blow since 2006. So one day I went home. So one day I went home. like arguing with a chick. So one day I went home and just stopped doing blow. That's what you're trying to tell me. Never did it again. Never went to That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying about being a criminal. No, 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 no. I'm busting your balls. I can't believe what I'm fucking telling you. That's 2006. One day I went home. Brian, one day I went home and just stopped doing cocaine. No rehab, no hug. I didn't call nobody. I didn't pierce my ear. I didn't give my life to Allah. <laughs> there was chip. no Obergine. There was none of that shit. <laughs> Obergine, whatever the fuck that shit is. He never there was right. nothing. Whatever the fuck, Obergine, whatever the fuck <laughs> the shit is. So my point is, that what uh, happened was I dropped. I kept dropping the pain that I had, mm-hmm. and that luggage that I had, I forced it out. I just didn't fucking stop doing drugs. I overcame whatever was making me do those fucking right. drugs. Society wasn't making me do drugs. Obamacare. How funny is it? They found heroin in yeah. the Bronx with Obamacare envelope. Boston, on it. Boston. Boston I'm sorry, Boston. Yeah. Man. Hysterical. It said Obamacare on it. It was on heroin. heroin. <laughs> 
Obamacare. Like people would just I let that through. Everything. We created right. everything. Uh, in a lot of ways, and you know, there's, there's things, random things yeah, that happen and as well, some right? Things, like, bro, there's sometimes people wake up on the wrong side of fucking bed and they come at you and you mm-hmm. gotta stand your fucking ground and you gotta say no, bitch. And people get their feelings hurt. Yes. Know? But no, I created a lot of the shit that happened in my life. There's no fucking way. You also have to stop silliness or it'll invade your life and ruin your quality of life. Like if you don't get upset at people sometimes, there's times where people are infringing on your happiness with their bullshit. with that bullshit. No. And you're like, listen, man, you need to learn your own, for your own good, you need to learn that what you're doing is like socially unacceptable. You're, You're passing it off on other people. You're passing off this shitty reality that you're trying to promote. Something, you, you can get locked in a person like that, as we were saying before, with like bad relationships, and then all of a sudden, like every day, you're dealing with this person's nonsense, distortions, and lies, and you can never trust, like, who, was it your fault? No, nah, it's never your fault, right? It's never your fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And when you deal with people like that on a regular basis, and you communicate with people like that, it makes it incredibly difficult for you to live your life. Because you're constantly, you're constantly like debating or dismissing bullshit. Like, is this bullshit? It might be bullshit. And then somewhere along the line, you realize, well, fuck this, man. I got to stop hanging out with this person. This person's an asshole. You know? That person doesn't give a fuck about the truth. They don't give a fuck about me. They just... And I've had a few of those in my life. And you just cut them loose. And when you cut them loose, like, you're a way better person. You're like, your life is free and easy. And I'm like, oh, it's not that I'm, like, constantly engaged in conflict. It's that if you surround yourself with the wrong kind of people, you will be constantly engaged in conflict, whether you want it or whether you have that intention or not. Like, it's not just about having the right intentions. You got to make the right choices as to who you put in your world. Because if you put a bunch of shitheads that don't care about evolving, they don't care about getting it together, and all they're trying to do is pass off their nonsense on you, Oh, you got a fucking, you got a shitty road. You got a shitty road ahead of you. You know, I used to love guns. I wasn't a gun nut like your buddy, but I loved guns. I loved having them. I loved them. And the same thing, one day I was like, every time I carry a gun, there's a problem. Yeah, you put that out there almost, right? It's like a magnet for other guns. And you're not the only one that says that. It's like a magnet. I'm telling you, when I carried mm. a gun, I carried a gun for a very short time because I didn't like it. I didn't see the purpose for it. It's a nice thing to use to try to be a tough guy, but all it's going to do is get you in fucking trouble because you pull that motherfucker out, 20 motherfuckers are going to pull them on you that real tough guys. And I knew that going in. I fucking knew it. I wanted to fire it at somebody. But I tell you what, man, it was amazing how I used to go home at night and go, what the fuck just happened tonight? Why did I have to go for my reach for my gun tonight? Why were there six other people in the room at a Coke party with guns? Because guns attract, they're like fucking magnets. And one day I got rid of all those guns and it was like I, I lost 80 fucking pounds of drama. Wow. The same thing, 10 years ago, this phone would be ringing with people that were asking me questions about, you know, how do you get road work? You know, why don't you take me on the fucking road? <laughs> you know, you get all these fucking people calling you with these questions, and at the same time, they have no concern for you. They really don't. They're just trying to pull you down, especially in this fucking town. If you let people pull you down, be, I, I don't know what you're doing. It's not happening for me. What do you want, what do you want me to do? You got to write and get on stage every fucking night. What would you do last week? Oh, I went to my sister's wedding. Well, go fuck your mother then. Go to the fucking wedding. You were one go of the best the, guys at picking that out, too. You were one of the best me guys. Up. It burns my fucking core that people will come up to you and put their lack of. The other night I saw somebody that I started comedy with at the store. 
13 years ago. I was going to screen some stupid movie that my buddy was in. My wife was sleeping. I said, let me go down there. And as I was walking around the corner, I heard Joey. And I went up and I go, I didn't even know who it was. And he was telling me what he was doing in front of there, how he was working. You hear about this? What? No. And he was telling me, you know, what he was doing there and what he was he was working. And I drove back to fucking Studio City with, like, tears in my eyes because he had every opportunity that I had. He was a good-looking dude when he moved to this fucking town. But to him, he used to go to the store and drink, and everything was ha-ha-hee-hee. And now I'm supposed to feel guilty on the fucking 101 because this fucking schmuck's got a job working till fucking 2 in the morning parking cars or something. You know, I mean, we all had the same opportunities here. Well, there's people that feel like those people in your life to teach you that lesson, to see people fail and have regrets and see people not give 100% or not give it all their focus or give it all their honesty, you know, give it give it who, who the fuck you really are. We see those people and that regret is almost there to let us know, like, don't ever let that happen to you. But as I was getting in my car, he made a comment. And he was one of those guys that always had to have that one comment at the store. Mm-hmm. And he made like a fucking comment, like just what he say? Some about something. It must have been nice doing blow all those years, like something. Just you know what I'm saying? Like he's one of those guys that he's got to put you down, right? He had a, and I just got in the car and I said, you know, this is why that guy's parking cars. Yeah, and you know. I'm on the fucking road working and at least trying to make things happen. But this is why this guy's parking fucking cars. There was a guy that we, I want to, won't mention his name, but you, uh, you'd warn me about him a long time ago, long before it ever went real bad for him. And then one time I was back in the East Coast and the guy hadn't done comedy in fucking a couple of years. And he's like trying to get a hold of me to open up for me. Like, what are you just, you just going to get back on stage after a couple of years and open up at the big show? Like, really? That's what you're going to do? Are you out of your fucking mind? Like, what kind of weird request is that? You haven't done comedy in two years. You you want to go up in uh, in front of a sold out club like that's that's ridiculous like why would you think that you could just do that like you could but that's what they there's a lot of guys that didn't make it in comedy that felt like they didn't make it because nobody helped them and I've heard that so many times I've heard that stupid argument like I wasn't in with the right group or if you're not in with the right group it's very hard to get road work like what are you talking about what do you ta- all you have to do is be funny if you're funny people find you it's it's one of the easiest businesses of all time you get proven on stage for sure easiest to understand this is how easy it works you go on stage you get the people to laugh people notice then they start offering you work it's that simple when you prove that you have a, a certain amount of time and you prove that you can consistently perform really well people want to give you some work they give you a little here they give you a little there you make some connections you start networking the next thing you know you start you know moving in your area a little bit getting a few gigs here and there and it takes fucking years and you got to keep doing it if you don't keep doing it then you really didn't want to do it but if you do keep doing it you get to a point where you're Joey Diaz and if you're one of those guys that didn't really want to do it and one day you see Joey Diaz and you say oh, I must have been good fucking do coke all those years <laughs> you're there you're like a living lesson like that guy's like a little a little stop on your journey. Oh, it broke my fucking it's a book. heart. It broke my heart on the drive home. I was like, wow. Him and I had the same opportunities. We both walked into that store. He used to get spots. He was good. He was decent. Yeah, you know. Showed whatever. potential, whatever. Nine o'clock spots, couple belly room spots. And now you're out here at fucking uh, 11 o'clock at night, and you're like, wow. You that's know? that. That's with, with everything, Joey. That's with music. That's with writing. That's with anything where it's up to you to create what you put out there. A lot of people fucking fall short, What's man. Bill Hicks' friend? Not the, the guy from Portland, Oregon, that he was started in Houston with, and they both moved. Portland. 
I don't know who you're talking about. Comic? Yeah, he lives in Portland. He's from Houston, Texas also. The guy with all the tattoos all over? I don't know. He uh, uh, They did comedy at some place in Houston. Not then. Jimmy Pineapple. No, 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 no. Jimmy no. Pineapple was a funny not guy. Not Tennyson. This Jimmy kid's still alive, still alive. And he's still on the road. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Pineapple's still in Houston. Didn't this he, guy uh, is in Portland, Oregon. Didn't he have like some health problems? I, I'm not sure. I didn't hear anything. Dale, Dane... Uh, I think he's even managed by somebody in L.A. because he was doing some gigs at the Improv. I saw he wrote something 25 years ago about his, after Bill Hicks died, about his relationship with Bill, how him and Bill moved to L.A. and he got married and Bill did The Tonight Show. I had a kid and Bill did HBO. I had another kid and Bill was on tour. and mm -hmm. But we still remain friends. It was a beautiful one. He goes, I never had jealousy for him. All I wanted was the best because I knew that he's the one that they used to do comedy at the pizza place with in Houston, Texas early on. Pizza place. They used to do comedy at a pizza yeah, place. I, I know who you're talking about, but I don't know who you're talking about. Not I mean, Mac Lindsay, right? There was a, no, no, no. no. <laughs> there was Lindsay. a bunch of those guys uh, from that. Why would you even say Mac Lindsay? Because I thought that, I mean, he used to hang out with that group. No, no. Mac Lindsay was so much younger than those yeah. guys. Too. He was yeah, more no. than 15 years younger than those guys. Easily. Maybe even 20. Dwight Slate? Dwight Slate. That's it. Dwight Slate. Dwight Slate. He's yeah. from Houston also. Went up to Portland, uh, yeah, those guys, those comedy outlaws. What's fascinating about all those guys was how much they were so obviously influenced by Kennison. Those guys got in a world. I mean, they were very talented guys. I worked with Jimmy, Jimmy Pineapple one of the first times they ever came to Houston at the Laugh Stop. Very funny guy. But they they were all real good, real solid comics. But they were so obviously caught up in the the wave of this one wild fucking maniac. Even Ken, when I first saw Hicks. Hicks had like all these Kinnison mannerisms. Like he probably didn't even realize it. He was like so used to being around Kinnison and Kinnison just being the man. Like in eighty six, eighty six, Kinnison was like for people today cannot they, they can't really understand what kind of an impact that guy had on the world of stand up comedy. He threw the whole fucking board in the air. the The whole thing was changed by one guy, this big fat guy screaming about pain. Nobody had ever done that before. It was a completely new thing. And the jokes were crisp and they were solid and he got to and they had really good points like about the kid in Africa, you know, about being married. I was you know like about going to hell, like hell would be like club med. You get, the devil goes, "Why wow, you've been married? Oh, wow, this is fucking old hat for you. Come on, I'll show you around. This is where we torture the souls." <laughs> when he would when he would talk about like his life and his pain and get fucking red in the face and scream, "Ow! Ow!" There was nothing like that. Nothing like that at the time. And so these guys, they're all, they're all these outlaws, the comedy outlaws, they all got swept up in the wake of this mad genius. This mad genius with a head injury. You know his story? His fucking book. His book is great. His brother wrote a book called uh, My Brother My Sam. Brother Sam yeah, it's a great fucking book. If you're a stand-up comic, you, you I can't owe it to yourself. To, I'll give it to you. Okay, I'll, I can't it. find it. I'll I get it for you on Amazon. See if we can is find it on Amazon. Is it still on Amazon? I'm sure there's probably some used copies that are available. Okay. No, so it's a Amazon. great fucking book. I read that in Seattle in 95. One of the most important parts of the story is how Kennison was like a regular kid. Normal, shy, and regular kid. He gets hit by a fucking car. He get hurt, like really bad, like bad head injury. And then he comes out of that, just a wild motherfucker. Just wild and reckless and confident and crazy. Like literally, he got head injured into being the greatest comic of all time. 
Because he went from there, like, right into, like, he was doing all that evangelical preaching. And he took that energy and, and wrote it right into stand-up. And a lot of it came about, most likely, if you listen to his brother, who knows better than anybody, their personality changed because of a head injury. That's fucking crazy. His brother was crazy after that. They too. were all crazy. His brother's fucking Carl crazy. Carl LeBeau was crazy. All those dudes were crazy. Carl LeBeau is still out there banging it. Bro. Banging it. Hitting the clubs. Hitting the clubs. Still huh? loves it. You know? Look, even, you know, somebody tried to explain this to me once a long time ago about stand-up comedy. And he was like, look, man, even if you just earn enough to make a living... You're earning a living telling jokes. Telling jokes. Oh, it's... it's Like, everywhere you go, you're making people laugh, you're having a good time, they're enjoying themselves, and you feed yourself that way. That's fantastic. He goes, if you can do that to the day you die, do it. Because it's the best way to live. And I was I remember, like, that totally makes sense. Like, even if you're just a guy who never really makes it but can kind of headline enough to bring a good crowd, you know, in half-filled you know half filled clubs all across the country, you're going to get by. You'll make a good living. And especially now with CDs and T-shirts mm-hmm. and hats and yo-yos. You and, know, you the, and you have the opportunity now. you have the opportunity Twitter and, and Twitter, Internet, yeah. YouTube. Even a, a low-end comic could make, you know, so a guy that's not working the improv, per se. Okay, mm-hmm. let's say a guy that doesn't work the improvs or the funny bones. There's a thousand clubs. There's still a lot of clubs. A lot of clubs. Yeah. A lot of clubs in Ohio, you know. We're and so then lucky. And then there's like the Austin Room and all those, but then there's an underbelly to that. Yeah. You know, this, they're going to open up another room in Tempe. What? So listen to me. Yeah, in the spring. So that's Who's going to open it? The people who own Rick Bronson's Comedy Club in Minneapolis are going to own East Orange. Wow. Uh, East Rutherford, that one, and Tempe. So you have Stand Up Live. You have the Tempe Improv. You have Stand Up Scottsdale, and you have the other one in Scottsdale. That's four. Holy you shit. You have a one-nighter, and you have this place coming in. So that's six rooms in the Arizona area. Well, it's always been like a very strong comedy town. You know, people, they like to have fun, and there's not a lot of options. And this, the Tempe Improv is one of the best options in that area for the longest time. So you've got like a whole community that's been sort of raised on really yeah, good comedy. comedy. Like, that's always been an option. If you live in Tempe, that improv is a big stop for a lot of guys so like every week you know you're gonna get this guy who's a national headliner brian callen and joey diaz you're gonna get that kind of comedy like almost every weekend so they 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 really built up a big audience that i bet they can't even satisfy you know what else they have in tempe an organization called Dick Suckers R Us. <laughs> they got some dick sucking motherfuckers running around Tempe, though. They'll suck your dick wet or dry, coked up or not, just with a shot of aspirin. They will suck that pipe anywhere. <laughs> they have some nasty cocksuckers down there. There's an organization. I think I, they I got a piss. Tell, tell, tell Brian about Dick Take suckers. your time, but hurry up. It's amazing how down there is where the fucking women who love sucking cock, they're like, one day. They go, fuck it. Let's move to Arizona and end this. Everybody in Arizona is hot out and they suck dick. Fuck it. And they really do. It's really a weird place. I cannot believe it anymore. But what are you going to do? You know what I'm saying? What the fuck am I talking about? I don't have no idea. Does anybody fucking know? Does your, any- your movie comes out uh, this week. This week. This yes, week. And you got to actually go to New York and watch it. Yes, I did. Did you enjoy it? Was it fun? Because uh, this was your first time seeing it edited, I guess. I saw it two, I saw it two times last week. Yeah, that you liked it that much then? No, I saw it. I had no choice. You know what I'm saying? It's, I had to go with my wife, and then I went one night uh, in New York. 
Do you like singing? You also met the guy that plays Big Pussy yes, on, on The Sopranos. And you, that's you know, the, ever since I've known you, time, <laughs> yeah, ever since I've known you, you get confused with this guy. You know, oh and you God. and you usually don't even tell people. You're like, all right, get over here. And they're like, I love you. And, you know, Sopranos are like, yeah, whatever, get out. <laughs> you know, I, I try to tell them. Like sometimes I ask people, like they'll stop me at the UFC and they'll. Uh, uh, who are you? The best was the lady who asked me who I was. And I go, so you stopped me to take a picture. You don't know who the fuck I am, you fucking barracuda cocksucker. <laughs> and you said that he also gets confused uh, with you sometimes. Or, no, or at least that, was, that, that day he did. It was nice. It was really nice to finally meet him. He gave me a big hug. And Who's he, that? Big oh, pussy. Big Pussy. I saw those Hysterical. pictures. Ari, yeah, Ari had it out it. Where did you do that? At the premiere of the movie. So we, me and Ari were walking. He he looks at me and he comes right over me. He's like, man, what the fuck? He goes, I was just in the bathroom. People are asking me, how much fun was it shooting with De Niro? And I kept telling him, it wasn't me. And here you are. So he was very nice. He was very nice. To talk you know, they're using you in the clip. Have you seen the trailer for uh, Grudge all, Match? All the trailers. All of them. They're using that one line. It's like Bad Baywatch. That's the power <laughs> of the internet, Doug. That's the strength of the Joe Rogan experience and the power of the motherfucker. Tell that story because that story is a fucking hilarious story. It's a, it's a crazy story. Like They had no idea who you were. They booked you because they thought you were funny. You go to the premiere, and when your face is on the premiere. No, 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 no. They sh shot the movie because the director referred me. Right. He goes, Joey was a hard sell. So they put me in the movie. But then they take the movie and they show it in the Midwest and all these places to see how it scores. Right. And when they showed it, they don't show no titles, no names, no nothing. And they give you a questionnaire. And one of the guys, and so when I was shooting the movie, everybody was very nice, but nobody really talked to me. Everybody had their Starbucks cup, and nobody asked me if I wanted Starbucks. You know what I'm saying, Doug? Nobody asked me if I wanted a Starbucks, which I wouldn't have drank coffee. But Jesus Christ asked me, but I was just a fucking regular guy. When they screened the films, I guess people started yelling, no blue cheese, go fuck your mother. And they said, they're going, what the fuck is going on? And all these reports came back, so they got it. So when I went to do the ADR, they were all there like, Come here. You know when, when Henry Hill comes right. out of jail, they all wait now. <laughs> you broke your cherry. It so was they so just, weird. They didn't know who you were, they and then they all of a sudden they did. From the internet, they didn't yeah. know that you know this is big. What we do here, that squad's a fucking movement. They didn't know that. So once they found out, they started lighting my cigarettes and shit and rubbing my shoulders. Well, if you think about what a, a, a television show, like the amount of people that watch a television show, like if a television show's on every week, how many people watch it? What's a big one? A big one's like, uh, you know, like, like what does Duck Dynasty get? It's the high, the, the biggest ratings ever. Yeah, they crushed us Some when we were up against million. them on Sci-Fi. It's like fourteen million, something like on that. Cable. It's not like the highest rated cable. I know that you would get more ever. hits than fucking Kamal. Huh? That show on FX. I know that you guys were killing that show. No, we did very well on, Joe Rogan. on nights no, 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 when no, we I'm didn't talk, have to I'm compete. I'm talking about the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh. Was getting more downloads than that Kamel Bell on FX. Did you know that? You were getting more downloads than people watching that shit that Spike put on with Randy and everybody. No disrespect. You know I love MMA. That, that show they had on for a okay, while. Okay, you're talking about downloads? You're talking about ratings? Downloads. Podcast. Viewers. How many people were downloading and watching this or listening to this it? This show. In that we're on right to here. the show that fucking Kamau had on FX. But you're not, you're not talking about the sci-fi show. You're talking about this no, podcast. No, forget the sci-fi yeah. show. I'm talking no. about that. More people watch this than that show. More people watch this than that fucking series they had before Glory on Spike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You follow what I'm saying to well, you? More people. It's amazing how many viewers, how many people watch this. It's amazing how many places I go now that people hear the voice and go, Joey Diaz. 
I just heard you on the podcast the other day, man. It's amazing. And the people that will say that. Do you realize it? Or does it, is it one thing? Is it, did it creep up on you and it like takes you time to go, holy shit, like this is, this is actually getting kind of nutty. Like when did you realize it? When did you, when did you realize like the, oh, the impact of ago. doing stuff online? Ago. A year and a half ago, I really felt the, you know, security people talking to me, NSA people, TSA people talking to me. You know, TSA people talk to me now. Hey, man, how you doing? That was funny last time. And you're right. What you said about the Mars program, whatever. It's <laughs> fucked up. How many people will say shit to me, you know? And, yeah. Uh, this is huge. This little movement is fucking huge. We're, we're closing in on 8 million downloads a month, and that doesn't include Stitcher, and that doesn't include so, yeah. YouTube or Ustream. So that's a million it's an crazy. episode, close to it, 750 an episode. Whatever it is, it's a lot. Yeah, it's just a lot. A lot of how, many, how many individuals that is? I don't know. That's don't know. a lot. I, that's I a fucking say lot. You're it's killing. definitely not 8 million. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many it is. There's a lot of different people downloading You're it twice. You're definitely killing and, half the TV shows on television. Uh, if they go by, I don't think anybody's killing anything. You know, it's just a different thing. It's just we, they didn't have it before. Before people were stuck, they were stuck with radio, or they'd have to, you know, bring a cassette, or you know, they listen to books on tape. That was like your only good option. But now they could do whatever the fuck they want. There's so much shit you could download. You listen to your podcast, listen to Duncan's. You could download a, a Dan Carlin podcast and learn about some history. You could download a you know science podcast. You could, I mean, there's the, the numbers of podcasts now are just fucking staggering. The options that a person has. That's why I keep telling people you can't charge money for this. Like if you think you're going to get away with charging money, you're going to make a little bit of money from the people you charge, but you're ultimately going to fuck yourself because it's going to slow your growth down. You, the, your, your growth is best achieved if you follow spirit of the internet. Spirit of the internet is give people free shit. Give people free shit that's good. And that way when you develop a relationship with them, you develop a relationship where you've already given them something. Like, you know, like you're not just constantly asking them to buy your tickets, constantly asking them to do this. It's a, a like a, a really easy free thing and you're happy that they enjoy it. And you do it in the spirit of that, not even in the spirit of trying to make money off of it. And then it's all sorts of falls into place. And I that's love it. that's what's happened with I all of us. I love getting up at four forty-five in the morning. You're ridiculous. You do it in the weirdest <laughs> way ever. I fucking ever. love it. Did, you just hurt Brian's feelings. Yeah. I usually watch the first half of it. I had it. to text this motherfucker <laughs> twice at noon to tell him that the podcast was at two. Like yeah. he, oh, what's, uh, I could see him waking up with a pair <laughs> oh, yeah. of underwear across his face, <laughs> trying to find oh, oh. this motherfucker. Mollied out, out of his head every night. Yeah, he's gonna die. He's yeah. not gonna make every, it. When I get up, listen. There's some nights I go to bed at eight. Like, when I come back on a Sunday, I'm dead. Five shows all weekend, you know, five hours a night. I fucking go to bed at fucking six. And then some nights I get up at three, and I'm looking at your Instagrams. You're going to fucking Pink Dot. You're going to the other place. You take pictures of pancakes. You're living like <laughs> we were living. You were living yeah. like, essentially, we were living in the 90s. Yep. Yeah. It's it's and it's a life of a comic. Yeah. It's a life of a comic. You know, you're going to bed as I'm getting up. You and Ari. Ari. Is fucking up all hours. Ari's worse than me. Ari's well, Ari's, <laughs> he's a full savage. I looked at his uh, Instagram the other day. of photos of all the spots he's doing in town. This motherfucker's doing like five, six spots yeah, a night. Yeah, that's New York. Going all around New York from like eight eight p.m. on. You know, he's got spots. All he's got one a.m. spots at Caroline's and shit. He's just going up, but he's he's getting excited by it. Speaking of exciting, this weekend, ladies and gentlemen, at the Mirage, the greatest lineup I've ever put together ever. Joey Diaz, Brian Callen. And Ari Shafir 
God damn, and me, and uh, at the Mirage. It's, yeah, I mean, I don't even need to be there. So this show that's so fucking good, I could just just bring everybody up and say good night. Be fucking night beautiful. Off, fuck. Yeah, I might I might just take the, no. I'm gonna tell some jokes, but look, you can't can't get a better lineup than that. We've never done a, a crazier show than that. That's the craziest show I've ever done. Four headliners, everybody having a good time. It'll be sold out. It's almost sold out already. And it's at the Mirage at the <laughs> Terry Fedor. Uh, uh, he, I guess he has his own theater there. I've never seen it before, but it's supposed to be a sweet, sweet room. We're going to have a good fucking time, Joey well, What's Diaz. the rumors in the fucking air? What's going on with the fight this week? I want you to go there, man, but you're not going to be there. I can't go. I know. Go. Um, no one knows. You know, look, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy fight. Anderson Silva, all-time greatest mixed martial artist that's ever lived. I mean, he's got stellar his entire career, dominating champions, strangling Dan Henderson, knocking out Vitor with a fucking front kick to the face. The greatest martial artist that's ever walked the face of the earth. A guy who lives like he's in a fucking movie. And he gets clipped. Boom! He gets hurt. And a dude plays basketball with his head. Boom, boom, boom. And he's out. And he, and he you know, the referee has to rescue him. And it all came about in, in large part due to him clowning. But what people don't realize is there was a moment in that first round where he had Anderson Silva really hurt. And it was not when he was going for the heel hook. It was um, he was ground and pounding Anderson and he blasted him on the chin. And you see Anderson's head bounce off the ground. You realize like, whoa, that is a fucking hard shot. He got clipped with. He got hurt. His eyes roll up and roll back. He got really rocked. And I think that severely influenced his decision to try to up the antics and really drag Weidman into a stand-up battle, which he thought he would have the advantage. But I think one of the reasons why he got clipped with that left hook and all that clowning around was because he got fucking hurt on the ground. And I think he, he really didn't want to go there. He almost got his leg ripped off. He got out of the leg lock. And who knows if his knee popped. He could have easily popped his knee in that exchange. It was quite a, a deep leg lock. And then he goes from there... And, you know, he's trying to goad him into a stand-up war. And he's like, come on, stand up, stand up, you know. And then he's kicking him and taunting him and pretending that he's hurt and drunk. But Weidman is just a motherfucker, dude. And he clips him and knocks him out. So the question comes, when you're coming into this fight, it's like, how much different would the result have been if Anderson just treated it like a fucking samurai? If he went in there with no antics and just laser beam precision striking, chops those legs up, eventually lands a big head kick or something, you know, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? We'll see this weekend. Well, we won't even because he didn't do it then. So who is he now and who is Weidman now? You know, the first fight is going to be one of the most mysterious fights ever. It's going to be one of the most hotly debated fights ever. Because everyone's always going to say, what would have happened if Anderson wasn't fucking around? What would have happened if Anderson took that dude super serious and just stayed super disciplined on the feet and was able, just like in the sudden fight, to get taken down the first round, but then keep the fight standing for the rest of the fight and then put him away? Who knows? We won't know. We don't know anymore. But what we do know is that Chris Weidman knocked Anderson Silva the fuck out, and that's shocking. He's the greatest fighter of all time, and Weidman clipped him with a fucking long left hook. Ba-bink! Right on the chin, dropped him, and then finished him off. And he's going to be so confident coming into this fight. This is going to be a really interesting fight, because I think Anderson's going to be real confident, because Anderson knows that... If he minds his P's and Q's and keeps the fight standing, he should have a pretty distinct advantage, as long as he doesn't do anything silly like the last time. And then, two, Weidman 
It's already beat him. Weidman's already knocked him out. Weidman's gotten better. Weidman's still young. Weidman just had that Regenikine shit done on his knees. He went to Germany for a week to get his knees treated. And apparently he's he's got his whole workout, like everything he does, you could do it online. Everything he does, he like he 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 puts it online so people can watch. Puts up his diet, puts up his workout schedule, tells Anderson what his his strategy is. Doesn't give a fuck. Saying it's not gonna it's not gonna matter. I'm gonna get him. It's a fascinating fight. It's fucking fascinating. I don't know what's going to happen, man. I have no idea. If Anderson went out and knocked him out, I mean, yeah, that's a possibility. If Weidman took him down and submitted him, that's a possibility. If Weidman knocked him out, that's a possibility. What if Anderson takes Weidman's back and submits him? Who the fuck knows, man? It's going to be a good fight. It's a, that's a that's wild fight. Know. And it's for legacy, too. For Anderson, this is for legacy. You know, Anderson suffered like, a, a, that's a humiliating defeat. And especially when he knows that there's a lot of people that blame it on his clowning. You know, that's like, and for Brazil, like Brazil got, there was a lot of times where he went to Brazil where, you know, people were like disappointed. He was their champion, not just the champion, but the greatest champion. And he came from their country. There's a lot of, and he feels that disappointment. He wants to make them happy in this fight. I think this is going to be very intense. I'm fucking pumped. God damn, Joey Diaz. I wish you were going to be now, there. Now, what's the other fight in the card? Josh. Josh Barnett. Against. Yeah. That's a good fight, though. Against Travis Brown. That's a good fight. Travis Hoppe Brown. That's a very good, good fight. fight. And Ronda. And Ronda Rousey. And Ronda. Tate. Yeah, J- Josh Barnett and Travis Brown is a, is a dangerous that's, fight. That's a tricky fight for Godzilla, both guys. That's King Kong right there. Dude, that Travis Brown might be one of the toughest motherfuckers who's ever seven, fought. Eh? He's a big boy. He's is he big. six seven, Travis Brown? I would say he's. If I had a guess, I would say he's at least six, six five, six six, 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 six five, somewhere around there. He's a big boy. That's a big motherfucker. But he's also he moves good, man. He moves light on his feet. What did he just striking beat? He Alistair just... motherfucking Overeem right. front kick to the face. Yeah, that's right, dude. And that was after taking a ferocious Rocious, beating yes. in that first yes. round. He took a beating that would have stopped. 99.999% of the people on the planet, if they were in that position, taking those kind of shots. Alistar was murdering him with knees. And there's nobody that throws knees like Alistar. If you've never seen Alistar Overeem fight, Alistar Overeem was the K1 Grand Prix champion, and he's a super high-level kickboxer for MMA, like one of the most high-level guys to ever fight in MMA, in the heavyweight division especially. And that motherfucker delivers knees in a totally different way. It's all just hip and technique and torque and whoomp. I mean, those fucking knees go deep into your soul. They pass through your skin and push your fucking belly right into your backbone. Like, they make your body go numb. Because he's literally smashing his knee all the way into your nerves. I mean, they're ruthless knees. And his whole body gives out. He goes down. And he's just getting fucking pounded. And you're thinking, they're going to stop this fight any second now. And he figures out a way to get up. And and, and then Alistair gets tired and then he gets up and Alistair is clearly he exhausted because he's he trying to throw head kicks right he kept throwing uh-huh. right I remember that Travis and he landed that one straight yep. up the middle right to the chin and Alistair's legs give out and, and Travis yeah. finishes him off it's one now of the greatest who's, comebacks who's, who's ever. Alistair fighting next it was supposed to be uh, I don't know Mir, if, but Mir got hurt I don't know if he's scheduled who's uh, let me find out he right now he was supposed to fight Mir but Mir got hurt Somebody got hurt. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder who he is uh, supposed to be fighting next. I don't. Um, I don't have. Let me find that out. I'll find that out. Next fight. He's a guy that uh, a lot of people thought he was going to, especially after the Brock Lesnar fight. A lot of people thought that he was going to be the fucking man. 
Oh, he's fighting Frank Mir. Yeah, he's supposed to oh, fight. Jesus. When? UFC 169. Which is the Super Bowl. Yeah. God, that's right. Wow. That's a crazy fight, man. Both guys got a lot to lose, Who's man. Who's on the Super Bowl card? That's a good question. I think it's Henan Barrow and Dominic Cruz is the uh, main event. That's uh, that's a that's going to be a big fight for the East Coast, and still to this day, it can't be legal in New York. It's fucking crazy. It's one of the the weirdest, as far as like uh, examples of how corruption shapes what people are allowed to enjoy and not enjoy. It's uh, they figured out a way to keep the UFC out of New York, despite a, a, a giant hit to the economy. I mean, they take mo- they're taking money away from New York by not letting it come to New York. They would, it would bring hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue to restaurants and local bars, and I mean, the the impact would be huge. The prestige would be huge. People would love to see it. And they still, they ha- it's not like they don't have combat sports. They have boxing regularly in New York. They have kickboxing. They've had Glory in New York. They had Glory high, you know, high level kickboxing in Madison Square Garden. That's amazing. These motherfuckers, they're 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 figuring out a way to keep people from uh, enjoying what they want. But you know what, man? There's always going to be that. There's always going to be that. There's always going to be people that are trying to to make money off of something. If, for folks who don't even know what it's all about, the Culinary Union keeps the UFC out of New York. And they know that it's a big event for New York. Um, but they want the UFC. Uh, UFC is owned by Zufa. And Zufa also owns Station Casinos. Same guys. And they want them to go union. The Culinary Union wants those those hotels to go union. So they're taking all their dues and they're they're battling the UFC hardcore. They develop these like crazy websites. They contact gay and lesbian groups. They do everything they can to try to like make a, a big force against the UFC. The crazy thing is they contact gay and lesbian groups, but the UFC is like they they're openly in support of gay and lesbian rights. They they actually donate money to to, to various centers and the UFC is like totally open minded. Fighter, fighters have been reprimanded for you know calling people gay slurs and things along those lines they're, they're not you know the, the, the culinary union is just trying to figure out a way to right, get to the UFC to it's amazing because if they, they did it do that shit. but if they did if they switched over union it would be worth millions of dollars to the union it's kind of fascinating stuff because on one hand you go well you know unions are important if a guy wants to earn a good wage and you want to make sure that they have some leverage and buying power people should get paid but when you see shit like this like how could this be right like you, you, the people that work for those casinos voted against doing the union thing. The whole thing is a mess. It's just like it's just cunty corruption, and it's gotten to the point where, you know, like they they can't back down now. They've been spending money trying to keep the UFC out for so long, but you're just putting your finger on a dike, and there's a there's a hole in that in that in that fucking dam, and more holes are going to start popping up, and eventually it's just going to overwhelm you. you are still spending the all these. Garden. It would be insane. It would be insane. They're still spending all this union dues trying to keep it out. You know, it's just it's so unfortunate where shit like that happens, where two things get entangled. You know, businesses get entangled. So this uh, the card in um, UFC in New Jersey's. It's a sick fucking card. It's Dominic Cruz, Henan Burrell, which is Cruz has been out for two years, man, with two different knee surgeries. One cadaver ACL graft that blew out on him. His body rejected it, and then he had to go back in again. Another nine months of rehab, and then three months of training. So loses on both shots. He loses a year. Fucking incredible. So he's finally back fighting the interim champ Henan Barrow, and then you got Jose Aldo fighting Ricardo Lamas. That's a great fucking fight, man. And then you got Mir versus Overeem. There's a lot of good fights, dude. 
Lineker versus Bagutinov. These two little flyweight murderers. Oh, those two killers, man. Bagutinov is a Sambo champion. This Lineker is a destroyer. They, they, calls him, they call him Hands of Stone. You can't do that, right? It's Roberto Duran's shit. Roberto you can't take Roberto Duran's shit. But the kid can fucking bang, man. He's got ridiculous, ridiculous power. Bobby Green's fighting Abel Trujillo. God damn. There's a, go- a lot of good fights, man. A lot of good fights. It's going to be crazy, too, because getting uh, back and forth, apparently, you're saying it's going to be a real issue. Well, those guys are going to be in Jersey. Yeah. But you're saying that. You're uh, not going to go back, and, back forth. and forth. No, no. You're it's not going to go back too and crazy. forth. Only one time, so it's not that bad. Yeah, but going back and forth that weekend is going to be nutty, it's huh? It's going to be bad, bro. What is it going to be like that, that weekend? What is it like? Okay, so you have three tunnels. Right. On the Lincoln Tunnel side, you have the George Washington Bridge upper and lower, and you have the Holland Tunnel, right? Plus, you have the ferries. When you do a Super Bowl, you have the Super Bowl all in one location. So when you go to, uh, let's say they're going to have it up in uh, the Rose Bowl. Everything around the Rose Bowl will be NFL-related for the first two weeks. The first week is press week. The last week of the playoffs, I I think it's either a two-week situation to get you to spend more money, or it's a one-week. So you go right from the playoffs right to the Super Bowl. They come into town the week before and start practicing and all that shit. It's not the 18,000 to 20,000 people that come to the Super Bowl. It's the 100,000 people. Like a couple of years ago, Real Sports had an expose on how many hookers fly in for Super Bowls. You'd be fucking blown away. Seems like a good move. If I was a hooker, I'd fly No, in. they had a whole 20 <laughs> minutes out of three segments dedicated to the art of hooking <laughs> during the motherfucking Super Bowl. Who had this? The HBO. HBO ad. What ha- what really happens to a city when they have the Super Bowl in your city? That was the expose. Wow. For starters, twenty million p- kilos of coke get shot in. Twenty pounds- million. Oh, you know, I'm just. <laughs> they, people come to the Super Bowl to party. Right, right. So right. it's not the eighteen thousand to go to the game. It's the hundred thousand that come in. So now, this is. Let's pretend you're going to have the Super Bowl in San Francisco. Everything around that stadium is is going to be related to. Super Bowl. They're not doing that this time. They're doing all the NFL experiences and shit scattered throughout New York City. So if you want to see the NFL Experience Hall of Fame, you got to go up to the Museum of Natural History. If you want to see the NFL quarterback challenge, you got to go downtown. That's going to create all that shit. Not to mention... Uh, so th- there's cl- a lot of things going on. There's a lot of things closed. Not to mention, they're closing the Lincoln Tunnel. One tunnel is only for buses. So it's going to be one commuter thing. Now, our boy Alex will get you back and forth. The other thing I do not like at all is it's February fucking 3rd and 4th. Could snow. Could snow. And they said snow. it hasn't snowed in February in 80 years. You know what that means? It's going to fucking snow in February. 80 years? They said in the in the uh, uh, Super Bowl, in that area in Newark, it hasn't snowed in February in 80 years. Well, listen. Is that true? No, Hold on. no, that's not true. What am I, am I quoting my birthday's nonsense? February 19th, and my mother used to take pictures every year of me walking into the bar on February 19th. And one thing for certain, there's always snow on the fucking ground. Let me see what it, maybe it's that day. Let me it's, see what, yeah. they're, what they're saying. Farmer's Hasn't Almanac snowed. is predicting a big storm. The Farmer's Almanac is predicting it? Yeah. How dare they? The temperature, that's hilarious. Temperature reached 71 yesterday. Where? Newark. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's warm right now. Sure. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it, That's warmer than it is here. Yeah, it was That doesn't hot. even make it's, any sense. It's raining, too. We're yeah, they said it's too. unseasonably warm. Okay, February 2nd in New York. And this is true. February 2nd in Newark hasn't seen serious snow in 80 years. Wow. 
Yeah, so it is true. Yeah, so it's that day. It's that specific day. 80 years. They asked Roger Goodell. That doesn't mean shit. Last weekend, they asked Roger Goodell, what are, what are you doing for the possibilities of snow? He said, you know what? If it snows, we're going to have ourselves an old-fashioned Super Bowl. That would be awesome. Fuck it. I would like that. Snow banging up. But you're out of there. By the time the Super Bowl even kickoff, you're in L.A. with your feet yeah. up and getting a massage. Cause well, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it this year. Yeah, I'm going to try to figure out. Yeah, hey, fuck yeah. yeah not, what are you, crazy? I'm not going there. Nowhere else with your feet up, eating fucking a meatball sandwich or something, because if not... I want to find out what the, the fucking hype is all about. And I think if I, if I watch them play in the snow, I'll really enjoy it. Because well, it's madness, you know? I, I love chaos. If, you can get, if they could have MMA fights in the snow... Have you ever seen uh, Wet and Wild? You ever seen the King of the Cage, Wet and Wild? No, no, no. King of the Cage is a smaller yeah, organization. A small, in Hawaii, right? They, no, 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 no. California. California. They used to have um, oh, event, my friend Bud used to own part of it, and uh, they used to have these. Where the fuck is that? Look at that. Last week. Last week uh, Where are they playing? That's crazy. Philadelphia. That is so gangster. Playing a game in the snow like that. I don't give a fuck. That is uber gangster. And to see that there's eighteen thousand people in the audience. Go to that audience shot. Look at that. Look at those motherfuckers. They're freezing their dicks off, and they're still there. They're all there. Fuck. I love that. I love that they're willing to play in the snow like that. I just think that's so wicked. How the technology has changed. Because now, like, the the sidelines are all heated. The seats are heated. Yeah. They throw blankets at you. They're heated. The gloves are heated. Right. It's amazing. Well, what? um, Fucking getting hit in the cold. What's that American Express commercial? Dinner sixty six dollars, a blowjob. Oh, baby. priceless! Prices yeah. getting hit in the fucking snow when it's cold. Prices. Fuck how many leg warmers you got? Look at that cameraman. Yeah, <laughs> that guy's fucking earning his money, man. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ, that's insane. Yeah, I get that East Coast, man. It gets rough. Look at that. I'll tell you what. When I went uh, deer hunting recently, we went to uh, Wisconsin for that show Meat Eater, and we sat in a blind, a deer blind, waiting. <laughs> and you're sitting in that fucking blind, and it is zero degrees outside, and the wind is whipping, and you are fucking cold. Holy you know why? Shit. Because you're just sitting. You're not moving. It's one thing if you're moving. Like I've been in zero before, but if you keep moving when you're in zero, you're okay. As long as you keep moving, you generate some body heat. But when you're just sitting there waiting for a deer to show up, you can't. It's a fucking statue. You can't move. You just gotta sit there. It's fucking rough, man. Wisconsin in the winter, up near those fucking lakes. (laughs) But goddamn, there are deer everywhere. They're everywhere. You know what's crazy? We're not used to it. No. We're pussies. I, I, honestly, I, We're I was just in the East Coast that night. One night, it started snowing. I'm not yeah. used to it. I wasn't crying. I wasn't to the point, but I'm not used to it. I, could, I didn't say nothing. I, had, I was, you know, I was, I had shit on, but it's fucking cold. That's a different. I was in Eugene, Oregon with my man Tom Segura when it was nine <laughs> below zero. Yeah, fucking rare, rare cold rare snap, cold right? snap. You know, and you're like, wow, I forgot about this. They had some serious snow while you guys were up there. This is cool to do for 10 minutes to walk and get a Starbucks or something. Yeah, we got to go to Portland again. Let's do Portland. Yeah, Want to do Portland together? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's okay, do we'll do Portland together and we'll do New Mexico together. Let's do Portland and New Mexico. This weekend, you dirty bitches, we're going to be there this weekend at the Mirage though we're gonna have some fun what are you doing new year's new year's i got an early show where at doing the early show john lovitz 
Ah, okay. So I'll do an early show up there, and then I'm off early. I don't know how late I'll be up there, but the parking's going to be weird. Right. Like, I forget how fucking crazy the parking is for New Year's everywhere. You know? Well, if you, get to the, if you get to the improv in time, man, if you want to go up. You're, you're starting at 10, though, Yeah, right? we're yeah. starting at 10. We're not getting out of there until about 10. That's why I didn't know for sure. Just drive over. Just try because well, Tripoli's going to go up, and then uh, Tony Hinchcliffe's going to go up. I don't know how it's going to be to get out of there. I don't know. I've mm-hmm. never been there before on New Year's, so. You know, we could always ring in the new year, and then, you know, you can go up after that, too. Shit. It doesn't matter. We'll have some fun. Let me tell you something, Joe Rogan. I have been catching up on sleep the last two weeks. Have you? I fucking six weeks in a row on the road. That's a tough fucking You do ready morning radio as well? There's no morning radio. Listen, let me tell left. you what they do to Dead Squad people. The Dead Squad people, they give us a little percentage, and they put it all on us. Mm-hmm. They put everything on us. They figure Twitter. I see who goes in the week before, and they get three stations. They'll call us and say, "Come in Wednesday for Thursday radio." Mm-hmm. They got nothing for us because they don't even spend a dime. These fucking clubs when we come in no more. Not a dime. Not who guts because they put it all on us. They think we're going to go in there from the fucking podcast and, and pack the place. Well, in a lot of ways, like you said, it is like being on a TV show. It's yeah, the same no, kind of so thing. It's the same thing, and we the word gets out in a better way. Yeah. If we do all our promoting, there's no radio. How many radio stations you got left that are worth not, getting on? Not many. Three, four radio stations yeah, that you can get on many. and promote something heavy. The guy in L.A., Opie and Anthony, mm-hmm. Stern. Who else is left? There's Some a few stuff Tom, on Bob series. and Tom. There's, uh, there's guys uh, throughout the country. There's a few, a few guys in Austin. There's this guys, you know. Dale Dudley, Dale yeah, and Bob Fort in Austin. People, oh, yeah. Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale, yeah. Yep, uh, yep. Tom Herrera's buddies. uh I had to do, like, radio for the movie, and I had to call a couple of places, and I was surprised. that. But it's all serious. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to call D.C. It's all serious. It's different affiliates. It wasn't like in the old days when we go to Houston. You did radio Wednesday, yep. Thursday, Friday, and Friday the drive-through. What happened to those guys? Did, did did radio get fucked up by those jack channels and all those, like, pre-programmed channels? Is what's that what this, it is? What's the big communism station? Communism? Clear what? Channel? Clear Channel. <laughs> communism. That's it. It's communism. communism. It isn't? They were firing people for saying, they got mad at, uh, what's his name? What's the kid that had the sh- Frank Caliendo. They Frank got mad Caliendo at him? don't even say fuck. That kid never even said fuck in his life. Why did they get mad at him? I don't know, but years ago, something happened at some clear channel. He did an impersonation. They thought it was off color. You know, those people insult fucking easily, man. Well, they're just so, thinking about money. They're not, they're not, it's a, kind of funny that you're, you're selling art. But you're just thinking about money. Like, that's a real hard line to dance. You're going to make sure that your product sucks because your product is never going to have any edges to it. There's not going to be anything dangerous about it. There's not going to be anything controversial about it. Can you imagine if we could have a radio show where we do like this? We have a morning radio show. And it's like this, completely uncensored. And it's on, you know, drive time, whatever. Just take this. Why? Why you? Why you have uh, you know some some other nonsense on? Just take this, and if you need to throw a little beep in there, throw a little beep in there. No, no, it's got to be real. <laughs> people were ready for this. Listen, in this society, people were ready for this. Well, you know what they're going to be ready for is having the internet on their fucking radio. Yeah, the internet's going to be in your car. You're just going to download them, watch them, or, or stream them live. Joe, how many times can you? Hey, Joe. So what are you thinking this weekend? Yeah. Are you going to the racetrack? This? Yes, we are. We're going to go. Nobody wants to hear that no more. Mm. We've gone through that. 1980 is fucking done. Okay? So nobody wants to hear that shit. If you want to hear that shit, maybe that's what suits you. But I want to hear somebody who's telling me the fucking truth for once. I want to hear somebody who's telling me their fucking mind, not what the advertisers are fucking telling them, what they could say and what they can't say. And God that's damn it, I'm with fu- you. And that's the beauty about fucking podcasting. That is the beauty. That's the beauty about it. I don't give a fuck. You don't want to sponsor. I don't give a fuck. 
we get our word out. This is pirate radio to the grassroots, as grassroots <laughs> as it could fucking be. Yeah. This is as crazy pirate radio as there's ever been before. Even crazy. pirate radio was yeah, never like this. this is crazy. This is as good as it fucking gets. Pirate radio wishes it was the internet. I you love know? doing this shit with a joint in my mouth. When can oh, you yeah. do that shit? I love Ever. all that shit. Well, if you stop and think about it, like from the moment we started doing this, all of us, everybody who does it now, all of us, Ari and Brian and, you know, Callan and everybody who's been doing this, we were <coughs> just, just doing it to do it. You know, we just started off doing it for fun. You know, we started off doing it like as a goof. So the intention was never as a business. The intention was to make it as fun as possible and to make it as, as, as enjoyable to listen to as possible to create. And it becomes sort of like a piece that you're creating. It doesn't it's not like uh, it is like you're having a conversation. But when you're aware that other people are listening and you, you know, you want to make sure that it's this is entertaining, that there's something to this. You're 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 like you're fashioning a piece. You know, and that's a lot of what you're doing when you're creating a podcast. It's a piece of art. It's a piece. Of, I mean, it's very pretentious to call it art, but it's something that you're creating, and that's the something TV you realize the along years. the way. Yeah, but the you TV realize show that, for right? the years. That's all this yeah. is. There's no difference. We're going on there, and we're giving you what's in our heart and what's in our head. What what, what sticks out in our mind? I don't fucking go on you. I don't go on Yahoo and see what the hot topic is and talk about it. Anybody could do that. Yeah, anybody could do that. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that shit. I want to talk about what pertains to us today. You know, I, don't, I don't go on there and talk about Obamacare. What do I give a fuck? What do I give a fuck? You guys bought that hook? He's a fucking president. Why are you buying insurance from this shit? I'm yeah. not saying the president's shit, but why are you getting caught up? And I know everybody needs insurance. But I'm not going to go on there and talk about generalization of sports. I don't right. want to do that. I'm sick of doing that. How many times have you watched the news? You have three TVs in your house. Put them together one night and put the news on. They're fucking synchronized. They're synchronized. So what they're talking about on four, they're talking about on five at the same time. Really? Then Diane Sawyer comes on, and World News Tonight comes on, and there's the, there's an person, and there's an interpretation of World News Tonight with Diane Sawyer on four and on two, and they're covering the same shit that you're covering to the minute because they want to get it to you before anybody else gets it to you. Right. So we we go live now. You know, it's the same shit. When you wake up in the morning, you guys aren't up in the morning. You got to get up at six and watch TV in the morning and see what, how bad they get you going in the morning and the fear they put in you. The, all they talk about is, is teachers raping a kid and this happened overnight and this. Nothing's positive. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. By the time you get in your car, if you have any feeling at all, you're fucking in shock. That's why I get up at 445 and I smoke dope and I get on Twitter and I play fucking music. Because let's get the fuck, let's get our head away from that shit. Who gives a fuck? You still got to get up. You know, whether Obamacare is alive and kicking, when you go to Rouse, does anybody pop up and pay for your bills at Rouse or whatever, wherever the fuck you do shopping? You Red Band. No. All right, then what the fuck? Is that a real question? Yeah, when you're at Rouse, nobody (laughs) pops up and pays for your bills. No, of course they don't, Joey. Yeah. So what the fuck? I don't worry about that shit no more. You worry about your own path and what you can do and how you can help your community and yourself and the people around you, and you move forward. And if you're not doing that, then what the fuck are you doing? Well, there's a lot of people that are, are, are not doing that, but they are involved in the political part of it. It's like you can't – I don't think you can do everything. It becomes a problem. If you really want to concentrate on fixing the, the economic system and fixing the political system. I'm only here for a short time. You're running uphill, that's for sure. You know, but that's, a, a lot of people time. say that's a cop-out because that's the world that you live in and this is the, the society. You're that's supposed great. to help it enhance it. 
You want to solve the world, you go do it. All I'm doing is putting you in a good mood for you to go the fuck out there and get out there and kick some fucking ass. You know, I'm a fucking... This morning, I was talking to my wife, and she goes, you're a scareful... You know, the other night, I didn't go to the ice house because I was scared to go out at night. Why? I don't know. Because you eat edibles that would kill a fucking horse. I don't know. Sometimes... You eat edibles. Tom Segura came on and was telling a story about you giving him a chibachoo and about you ate like three or four of them. You had, you had literally like... He ate a quarter of it, and you had literally eight times as much in your system. Yeah, on the airplane. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah he was telling me the whole story about it, and I was like, "That—that's one of the most terrifying." St- just thinking about you that high on an airplane, like you're—you're you're having anxiety attacks. Oh, I was a little, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was breathing heavy. I was starting to sweat. That's sucking. That's fucking really high, man. What are you getting out of that? Like, what's? what's I love the- walking on that. I love walking on that. No, the, the day with Segura, I ate a, a whole chibachu, but it was a seventy milligram. It was a green one. I start my day with a double, a 170. How am I going to do 70? I ain't going to do nothing. So I got to pop two of them, and that's 140, and the third one is 210. So I'm in range. <laughs> I'm in range. That's how I, you know what I'm saying? The amount of tolerance that the average person, the, the length of time they would have to indulge in marijuana to hit that kind of tolerance. That, that shit that uh, Joey Diaz was just talking about, about all those local news. I don't know if you saw uh, Conan O'Brien. He did a thing last week. It was brilliant where he took all these local news channels and showed how exactly generic <coughs> they are reporting on the same story. Very and forward. they edited it together. Uh, if you want to, I have it right here. Yeah, you know, sure. Yeah, Throw it up. Makes sense. It's so funny. Check this out. There's an even bigger story that's sweeping the nation right now. Who are you really shopping for this holiday season? It's okay. You can admit it if you've bought an item or two or ten for yourself. Well, it's okay. You can admit it if you have bought an item or two or maybe ten for yourself. It's okay. You can admit it. You've bought an item or two or ten for yourself. It's okay. You can admit it if you bought an item or two or ten for yourself. It's okay. You can admit it if you bought an item or two or ten for yourself. It's okay. You can admit it if you bought an item or two or ten for yourself. It's okay. You can admit it, Todd. If you bought an item or two or ten for yourself. It's okay, you can admit it. If you bought an item or two or ten for yourself. It's okay, you can admit it. If you bought an oh item, my item God. or two or maybe ten for yourself. It's okay, you can admit it. If you bought an item or two or ten for yourself. It's okay, you can admit it. If you bought one or two or maybe three or four, maybe even ten items for yourself. It's okay, you can admit it. If you bought an item or <laughs> two or What a bunch of hacks. It's okay. Keep it going. <laughs> I'm enjoying the two, shit out of this. By the way, yourself. I want to fuck it's all okay. these people, the guys too. They're all beautiful. Yourself. It's okay. You can admit it. If you bought an item or two or maybe ten for yourself. It's okay. You can admit it if you bought maybe an this item is or two so or ten for yourself. Is it okay? You can admit it. If you oh my God. This is insane. It's still going, Joey. It's okay. You can admit it. Joey went to take a leak. Nobody has a fucking So how do you guys think this works? You think that there's like some sort of a grand script that goes out over the yeah. airwaves. They get these generic packets from their, that you know, like NBC and stuff like that. And they're, 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 they, they could fuck. change the wording, but, but instead they, they, do not. they do not. Yeah, they're probably lazy as fuck. You have no idea what we get coaxed. And you have to realize that for years when you were growing up and you were young, you always heard that cliche, the media controls everything. Well, they fucking, they, they don't control everything. They control what they want you to hear. Right. It's control what they want you to hear. You can't shoot a fucking BB gun now without the whole country finding out in 10 fucking seconds. They will interrupt the fucking orgy now on YouTube porn. I'll tell you <laughs> that. A kid got shot in New Orleans by a... I'm sorry. 
Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> showing right, me gross shit. Over there. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing? He's showing me gross shit. Oh, why would you what, Jamie, don't distract while we're in the middle of a conversation. No, no, no. Uh, and that's the thing. They, they, they. So guys, don't have a second conversation in the middle of this conversation. Anything that's stupid. That, anything that we're doing now is because people eventually just got. I mean, how many times? I don't mean to put anybody down. You watch a sitcom lately? No, it's painful. There, mm. that Any, art anything, form. Anything. They're like fucking silent <clears throat> movies. Anything on two, four, Fox, and whatever. Mm. They're all the same, just rewritten over and over and over again. And there's some nights that it's like going to the main room and Carlos is on doing Dice's joke and he's in the original room. <laughs> Remember that shit that night somebody was saying? Yeah. I just went in the original room and Carlos was doing Dice's joke. He just did Dice's. Dice did the joke in the original room. Carlos did the same joke in the main room one night. This was the. But I'm not talking. It's the same thing with. T- that's This is why this shit's winning. This is why more people are turning into this. First of all, it's unedited. This is this is it. I mean podcasts. Are. These podcasts, yeah. we do them. Yeah. We put them up. They're unedited. That this format that TV shows operate under, where they interrupt things every fifteen minutes. Yeah, that's it. The, I the, watched the The Walking Dead. You know, when you get it on Apple TV, you can't get it the night it comes out on TV. So it was out on Sunday. So I decided to watch it on regular TV in real time. It was fucking brutal. They just kept having commercial after commercial after commercial. They kept throwing commercials up. It was fucking crazy. I was like, this is gross. It's such a terrible way to watch an hour program. We have so many different options now with podcasting and people jumping on board going, I like this. Mm. You know what? When I watch Jay Leno at night, I may I may like the guy from Pirates of the Caribbean. What's his name? Listen, Jay Leno, if he was smart, he would host a show on cars. That's no, it. No, no, mm-hmm. I'm just saying. What's the guy that goes on there? What's the guy? Who? What's, what's Johnny Depp? Johnny Depp. We all like Johnny Depp. I love but him. But Johnny Depp ain't going to go on there unless he's promoting a movie. I ain't promoting nothing. I'm here talking to you. So I re- so tell us about what right. happened that time you were well, shooting. Well, there funny was story. We were on the set. I did my own stunts. Get the fuck out of my face. You're <laughs> a fucking half a fag. You do your own fucking stunts, all right? You know, it's the same shit. So eventually some people said, fuck it. We can't do this no more. These things to me are interesting. I listen to podcasts. Yes. I listen to different assortment of one. I listen to educational podcasts. I try. Me too. The history one is fucking great, by the way, because I'm a history retard. Yeah. Uh, and they're very interesting. And even when you're doing a podcast and you listen to one that's educational, it's not comedy, you're like, wow, I like how they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Have you so heard th- Radio Lab? You ever heard of Radio Lab? No, no, no. Radio Lab is really good. It's, um, it's interesting, too, because they add in sound effects. They like tell a story and they edit it really well. Like they'll do do an interview and they'll explain things as the interview is going on like they intersect a narrator explaining things as they're going on with like cool sound effects and shit it's like really well produced so like they have a premise like one of the premises was why are these athletes from this one particular era in africa why are they such good runners like what is it about these guys that make them good runners and then during the whole show they speak to experts who talk about it and then they ultimately speak to a guy who was born and raised in that tribe and he explains what it is it's a combination of factors but one of them being this brutal circumcision uh, thing that these guys have to go through 
unbelievably brutal rites of passage to become a man, where they circumcise you with a sharp stick, they make you crawl naked through thorns. Like, it's like really hardcore shit. Like, what they make these people do, they make, they, they make them run, like, on a regular basis while their dick is, like, twisted up. Like, they have their foreskin tied up in a bow, the and they're, they're running naked. When they get outside the, uh, the hut, they also have, they have to run. They can't walk anywhere. Like, incredible rites of passage to become a man that are so brutal that they get through this, and they have this insane tolerance for pain. And they have this genetic predisposition to be good runners, like the way their body's shaped and built. Fascinating stuff. So listening to it on this uh, podcast made me appreciate like that style of podcasting. It's an and it's a different style, obviously, than we do. But I like that. Too. Yeah, no, no. It's a, you know? everybody's got to be creative now with this thing. People were yeah. sick and tired of that shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I listen. I've for years I've said that, and I know I'm gonna insult people. I don't know who fucking stays up and watches those talk shows late at night. Flipping through the channels. I don't fucking know why they're still on half the fucking time. (laughs) I don't fucking know who watches that shit on a fucking... And now you got Saturday Night Live, which now they got to put stars on every week to make it work. Every fucking week they got to put somebody famous. Now I get home on Saturday from doing something, and it's Miley Cyrus, Justin Timberlake, and Paul Rudd. Got No, last week it was the other guy. What the fuck? What happened to the regular fucking Saturday Night Live cast? Then nobody watches that shit, so you have to have those fucking people on there now. But it's amazing. Who watches late night talk shows? Who the fuck tolerates I that do. shit? You do? Well, just Kimmel. Well, look, that fucking Conan clip was great. Oh, Conan, but Conan's not at 9 o'clock. What time's he here? On? Here. It's on yeah, early. It's 8 on o'clock. Early. At 9 o'clock and Pete Holmes comes on at 10. I watch Conan. I'm talking about 11 fucking 30. How's Pete Holmes show? I've never watched. I've watched the beginning of a couple good. minutes there. Is I he didn't... doing the same st- standard thing? Like monologue in the beginning and then... I think he turned... His is like a podcast show also, I heard. I haven't watched the whole thing. My friend watched it. He's on um, After Conan, is that what it is? Yes, yeah. he's on After Conan. And then there's Craig Ferguson, still does pretty I good. I don't fucking watch that uh, shit that do in the I fucking morning. I don't watch the other guy. <laughs> Jay Leno killed me fucking eight Jimmy years Fallon? ago. Every once in a while, I still got a hard on for my main man, Dave Letterman. That's my dog. So I'll watch him if he's got somebody cool on. I know he's got a goof on him or something. He's still an interesting guy. He's very interesting. I, I've always, I loved him since 80 fucking two. I've been watching David Letterman. You know where you get a real see an interesting side of him he's in uh comedians getting uh in cars getting coffee you know that web yeah, series yeah. that jerry, yeah, seinfeld, jerry did? seinfeld have you seen that one I with david it. letterman yes, yeah so good is yeah. he really good he's yeah. really interesting because he has a volvo that he drives around in this crazy souped up volvo and uh someone famous called him up like who was it who was it that wanted to know if he wanted one of those volvos some some other crazy fucker some other crazy famous fucker Forget I forget who it was, but uh, someone uh, said, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm buying these souped up Volvos. You want one?" He's like, "Fuck it, count me in." So he got this Volvo with a six speed and like a fucking ridiculous high horsepower engine. Just it looks like a crazy like a regular wagon, you know, that you would drive around in. But it's it's brutal. Click on that shit so you can see what it is. That's a big time Boulder car too. Yeah, the Volvo. Oh, that's an ad, right? Is that an ad? Those they they, just, they get you with those fucking fifteen second ads. I like the skip ad option. I yeah, like how they're doing ad, that. Yeah. Skip five ad. seconds and five seconds. Yeah, you gotta get me quick. You gotta get me quick. Yeah, this is a Volvo. He's got a Volvo wagon. This is a 1995 Volvo 960 station wagon. Oh my God, really? 
It is in Regent Red. It has a black leather interior, premium sound system, and a sunroof. But it was built with a high-performance racing engine by none other than Paul Newman. It's a 380-horsepower <laughs> it Ford V8 with a supercharger and a Mustang 5-speed gearbox. It looks like the kind of car that you would take to a place like this and do things like this. But it's actually a car where you can do things like this. He's doing a burnout. Oh, how rude. Anyway, that's an interesting web series. See, there's another one, like Jerry Seinfeld. Like, I like him in that more than I even like him doing stand-up. Like, he's really good at that because he loves fucking cars. That guy is addicted to cars. Jerry Seinfeld is yeah. awesome. Yeah. He's a huge Porsche owner. Like, he, he owns, like, some insane amount of Porsches. I mean, I think he's got, like, a, like, like huge garages that he owns that are dedicated to these it's, cars. He's actually uh, at an airport in Santa. Uh, yeah, but not just here. Yeah, also yeah. on the East Coast as well. He's got yeah. a separate one set up over there, and he has a full-time mechanic that takes care of all the stuff. It's like they're just constantly working on his cars. <laughs> like he has like rare cars that are worth like a million bucks, like rare first edition, you know, 1973, 911 RS, you know, cars that are super hard to get a hold of. He's a, a car nut. It's like Jay Leno too. Like one of Jay Leno's best things that he does is Jay Leno's Garage. It's a, a, a thing that he does online, and it's it's I like it better than the Tonight Show. Because the fucking guy loves cars. I mean, he's in love with everything. And not just fast cars. He's got a bunch of old stupid cars that are like these crazy like 1910 fucking shit boxes that he's got rebuilt. And he, he drives around in them. Is this Jerry Seinfeld's yeah, place? Yeah, yeah. Just layered. Yeah, he's got like all kinds of cars. Mostly Porsches, but obviously you can see there he's got a, a Chevy Camaro a SS. VW Bug up there. VW man. Bug. Yeah, he's got a fuckload of cars, man. He loves them. I mean, hey, you know, people are into weird shit. Some guys are into steroids. Other guys are into guns. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld's into cars. Fuck it. <laughs> get that Cadillac, though, Joey. Do it. I'm going to get do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Let, just... let your wife drive the Subaru. Take no, she has the fucking uh, whatever. Fucking gangster. She has the whatever. The I want fuck. a silver one, too. You need one that looks like What's a spaceship. What's the car that won the car of the year last year? Everybody got the Hyundai. Hyundai? Oh, the um, the yeah. one that looks like a Mercedes? Yeah, she got that one. Those are supposed to be great. Somebody told me those cars are fucking great. This guy who knows cars told me, look, the difference between that and a Lexus, it's a barely evident. He's like, yeah, the Lexus is a little bit sharper. It's a little bit like higher tolerances. It's a little bit better design, a little bit more high-end, but not that much. He's like, that fucking car, the one that looks like a Mercedes that Hyundai makes, he goes like, that is like the bargain fucking car of the year. That's a fucking gun. It's like it's I, a great I, car. Dog, I've done 80, just, I did 110 coming back from San Diego one night, like nothing. 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 Yeah, it I was have just, a, a friend of mine who's Korean, and uh, he was uh, just like, he was a doctor, and he was always talking about like Korean work ethic, and like, he's like, you don't know, man. He goes, when these guys make a car... It's like, because this is when Hyundai was first coming out. It was like the 1980s. 87. Yeah, and he was like, listen, man, these cars are going to be good. There were a $4,000 car that went ballistic. People, yeah, they were great. I knew salesmen selling Hyundais making $20,000 a month on $400 commissions. That's how many fucking Hyundais they were selling a month, dog. Those little four doors, what yeah. were they called? I forget. The Hyundai. Sonata, they were super cheap. Super but cheap. they were reliable. Then they went away for a while and they came back with this all new thing. Yeah. 
And you know, it's like Mitsubishi. Like I've always said, there's a Mitsubishi part in every fucking car. Mitsubishi has shit in every fucking car. A lot of what's the who else? Uh, what did Mitsubishi built? They built the plane that drove people crazy in World they War Two. The plane? MiG. Did yes. <clears throat> Mitsubishi built the MiG. That's why a lot of old time people won't buy fucking any cars with Mitsubishi. A Chrysler, Chrysler had Mitsubishi products in there. A lot of people. Won't. Damn, these Hyundai's are expensive now. This Equus. E Q U U S. Equus, yeah. Is sixty thousand wow. dollars. Yeah, they ain't fucking around. Yeah, dude, but when you look at it, it's like a hundred and twenty thousand yeah, dollar up, Mercedes. It it's a dope fucking car, man. And you know the Hyundai Cilantro. You know, it's a ball it's a ballsy move too. If you've got some money and you buy a Hyundai, you're like, you know what, bitch? This is good enough. This is all I need. <laughs> It's the opposite of the Cadillac move. It's the anti-floss. Where is it? I'm looking at it right now. Which car? So which one is No, the Equus. E-Q-U-U-S. E-Q-U-U-S. Yeah. $61,000, man. That's Damn. not cheap. No, and that's what it starts at. Damn. Yeah. But it's a rock-solid car. In comparison to the, like, the high-end Lexus. Like, what's the high-end Lexus? Let's say high-end Lexus. Uh, Lexus... LS forty forty six hundred. It starts off at seventy one. Mm, so it's like not that much of a savings. And Mercedes Benz S five five zero. Yeah, they're comparing them right there. The okay. ultimate. So the Equus Ultimate is sixty eight thousand, and the Lexus LS four sixty starts at seventy one thousand. That Lexus is a motherfucker, dude. Those Japanese. <clears throat> Those designers and engineers that they have that uh, worked for Toyota and then went into Lexus and made the high-end Lexus. I had a Lexus truck. I still miss that truck. Really? Yeah, I leased it. I leased it, and I was uh, I brought it with me to Colorado. I missed that fucking truck. It was perfect. It was one of those big ones. I think it's called the LX, the SUV. God damn, that thing was good. It was just rock solid. The way it handled in like snowy weather and the, just the way it drove, even though it was a big car, like all the all these systems that were designed to stabilize it around corners and stuff, and you know this adjustable suspension, fascinating stuff, man. And the the LS, which is their big flagship, that's the one that's their uh, their big uh, you know their big sedan. That thing is the first car to parks itself. It parallel parks itself. You know, like it finds the spots. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, Ford has that also. I they don't do? trust it at all. Yeah. Yeah, I would trust that. Who has, who has the, the braking system? <laughs> who has the braking system too? Lexus, right? Well, they have a lot of braking systems. Automatic braking system that you don't even have to There's be a lot of different cars. You talking about with cruise control? I don't know which smart one is. Cruise. It's like that smart cruise smart control. Cruise yeah, control. I think, Mondays have that. Yeah, but there are also uh, there's things that recognize even when you're not on cruise control, they apply the brakes if uh, you're getting too close to cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this car right here has like that lane departure warning where it mm-hmm. tells you if you like go over in a lane. Yeah, that's fascinating. I have that on uh, um, my SUV, and it also uh, will slow down. If there's a car in front of you, it's like a laser guided cruise control. So say you get on the highway, you say, okay, I'd like to go 70 miles an hour. Well, if there's a bunch of traffic, it slows you down to like whatever the traffic's going, like 40, and you don't even have to put your foot on the brake. It slows you down. I mean, you have to put your foot on the brake if everything gets dead stopped. But then when the traffic picks up, it'll pick up. So it'll go back from 40, back to 60, back to 70. It's amazing. They came up with a new Mercedes that drives itself, man. They were reporting about it in the Frankfurt Auto Show, the newest auto show. There's this guy, uh, Chris Harris, that I always follow. Uh, uh, he's a 
really funny automotive journalist, but uh, he was uh, there at the auto show, and they were talking about this new car that literally you're going to be able to sit in, and it's going to follow the curve of the road. It's going to brake. It's going to accelerate, decelerate. It'll do like virtually everything that a person does. So they're they're super close to that kind of Google technology from more than one source. I know the Google car has been real successful. They have a car that drives itself and hasn't gotten into any fucking accidents. At a certain point in time, it's going to be like, why was, why should we let people drive? <laughs> you fucking dummies! You crash into each other. If you if, if nobody drives ever, you just get in your thing and you press the button. There's never going to be a crash again. Like, mm, isn't that better? It seems. I mean, I know that that it's nice to be able to drive, and I like driving, and I know you like driving. But wouldn't it be better if we knew that no one that you love would ever die in an automobile accident again? And that's how it begins, Joey Diaz. That's how they take away your freedom, and that's how Skynet goes live, and, and it's all coming through Google. Coincidence? They just bought the fucking robot company, Joey. They bought that Boston Dynamics. They're making fucking robot frogs and shit, robot cheetahs. What's next, Joey Diaz? Huh? The Mirage on Friday night. The Mirage, Friday night. <laughs> Ari Shafir, Brian Callen, Joey Diaz. Um, anything else coming on, Brian? I know you got a, ga- a gang of shit going on in Texas, right? What do you got Yeah, happening? January 9th, Houston. January 10th, Austin. January 11th, Dallas. The where, Texas are you, uh, where are you going to? What are the places? Uh, so people know. Yeah, it's in uh, in uh, Houston. We're going to be at Fitzger- Fitzgerald's, and we're doing a, a podcast before the show, and then we're having a show, me and Tony Hinchcliffe. And then in Austin, uh, January 10th, uh, Tiffany Haddish is joining us, and we're going to be at the Spider House Ballroom. And then uh, July, or, I mean January 11th, we'll be at the Curtain Club in Dallas, Texas, again with Tiffany Haddish, Tony Hinchcliffe. Good googly moogly. And this uh, Friday night, of course, the Mirage, but um, then the 31st, Christmas Eve, I'm at the Melrose Improv with Tony Hinchcliffe and the lovely and talented Sam Tripoli. Should be an awesome fucking time. January 24th in Chicago. Oh, Jesus, it's going to be cold. Oh, Me and the motherfucker, Ari Shafir, we're going to have a good time. Ready for this? Cold, January 9th through the 11th, Buffalo, New York. Oh! Yeah, it's going to be colder. And January 23rd to the 25th, I'm in fucking Minneapolis. So I'll be freezing my fucking ass. We should do comedy in Hawaii. Let's just go to Hawaii. Hawaii is a fucking <laughs> great place to go no matter what you're going to do. What did you, uh, Duncan just got back. He was in Maui at a fucking retreat. That's how he's balling. That's how he's living. Yeah, he went to some crazy spiritual retreat and um, talked about it on his podcast and met a bunch of people from the podcast that were there. But he said it wasn't even weird. He said it was weird at first, but everybody was like so tuned in to what the retreat was actually really all about that it all turned out to be like a really positive experience. Could you do that? Could you? No. I, I could never do that. Shut up. <laughs> Don't even put that fucking out there. Bunch of freaks show up. Dude, write your name on my ass. I'm going to get it tattooed. Settle down. Hey, man. We're all one, man. I, look, I, I stay after every show, and I meet people. After every show, I take pictures with everybody until they're tired of taking pictures. I try to be as uh, accessible as possible. I talk to people as much as possible. But I think those type of scenarios where you're just constantly around people, like you were saying, like on a, a boat Cruise or ship. something. With most of the people, like literally 90% of the people or more that you run into, it'd be fine. But there's that 10% that don't know when to leave you alone. Did, when you were on news radio, space, did you write your own hands. lines? Occasionally, no, I wrote my it's own a lines. joke, but that's what they'll <laughs> ask you at the buffet table. The next well, that's morning. what I'd say to them. Occasionally. Let's not, can we not talk about me? <laughs> Joey, uh, Jam Band and his friend made a uh, song with uh, Joe. 
uh, with you and your blue cheese and all that stuff. Remember Another that, song? Yeah, I think they they finished oh, the same it. one. They oh, you finished, finished it. it. You guys, you should all drown. We said end it the show with that. <laughs> sure, let's do it. Um, that's it, folks. Uh, thanks to Audible.com. Go to Audible.com forward slash Joe. Get yourself a free audio book and thirty free days of Audible service. We love them. They're excellent. Can't say enough good things about Audible.com. They are in fact the shit. They also sponsor Hardcore History. It's one of my favorite podcasts ever. So audible.com forward slash Joe. Get yourself a free audio book. And onit.com. That's O-N-N-I-T. Use the code name Rogan. Save 10% off any and all supplements. All right, you fuckers. We'll see you soon. Merry Christmas, cocksuckers. I love you. Big kisses. Stay black, boys. Ready to do this? Let's get our freak on. You got to put these on. Can you hear You got to put these on. That's the shit. Yeah. That's the shit. Yeah. That's the shit.